Did you wash your hands before you came into the house? I always scrub in for surgery when I come here, but this time I just sanitize. I saw some hand sanitizer, so well, normally I help we send myself. you into the bathroom for a twenty-second happy birthday to you. You got to sing it, right? But this time you got you got into our garage. What's going on? Yeah, one of your sons clearly didn't shut the door on their uh, way out. Yeah, so I saw the, the sanitizer and then I took the thing of Clark wipes that you had and put it in my trunk. Right, and then I came in. Because, you know, we can't, we okay. can't, you can't get wipes. So. You, well, you might want to wipe down the, the chair that you're sitting in because you were the last guy there. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to get germs from that guy. <laughs> no way. Are you a subscriber of Mitch Unfiltered? You are. Oh, you betcha. Via the app on your phone? Yep. The Apple Podcast Apple app? Apple Podcast. Yes, I am. Are you also a, a Mitch Unfiltered patron? Correct. Do they come into the podcast app on your phone do you did you set that up like i've urged everybody to or well no? before you started urging people i just downloaded the patreon app yeah so i just go there it's awesome they just get come right, right to the patreon be- app. It, it, it sure does and you can do it that way but yeah. don't, wouldn't you rather have all of mitch unfiltered come to one place so they would all come to the to the no you don't care i about mean that. sure yeah it sounds good but it's, it's you're lazy you don't want to set it up i think it's more work to actually download an entire different app there's a lot no. Yeah, I, I downloaded it. Oh, you it already the, did it. Yeah. I understand that you already yeah, yeah. did it. But some people don't like listening to it off, off the, the Patreon app. Some patrons okay. don't like listening to it off the Patreon app, so they like it all to come yeah. to the Apple Podcast app. Anyway, we want you to be a subscriber, so please, please, please subscribe to Mitch Unfiltered if you're enjoying the podcasts. And if you want to become a patron, you get extra shows. And this is a great time to become a Mitch Unfiltered patron, don't you think? I agree. Everybody's kind of stuck at home. It's as little as $5 a month. We're doing some extra shows. Last week we did an 82P on Thursday, and then we released another 82U, United Against the Coronavirus. Correct. So we we did two extra shows for our patrons last week, and we... Drop that one like on Friday afternoon. So we're because we're, we're looking for something to do like everybody else is looking for something to do. And somebody said they already listened to that episode twice. Yes. Twice. Yeah. I'm surprised anyone can get through one. I mean, <laughs> twice. Good for him. <laughs> They're fun shows. Yeah, they are fun. Come on. Yeah. No, it's it's there's so much going on. Like every second there's yeah. information. So it feels like you're never going to run. And out. I just feel like as people are encouraged to stay home and we ought to stay home. We'll talk a lot about that. Maybe we can do just a tiny, tiny our tiny, tiny part and adding some shows and just giving something, somebody something to do, listen to, get a chuckle out of. You know, we end up veering all over the place. We never stay quite on on task on Mitch Unfiltered, do we? No, we do not. We end up in television shows and Netflix and, <laughs> yeah. and airports and Sun bars. tanning of the yeah. nether regions. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the, I don't, who knows? I never quite know. You know, I have this game plan <laughs> right. for 83. I think 83 is supposed to be good, but I right. have no idea. I just know that Hot Shot's going to take us like to number two in the shower. Right. You can never be fully prepared for Hot Shot's number two yeah. in the shower, which, by the way, as we go along... And I hate to make a joke out of all of this. Number two in the shower is starting to feel more and more reasonable <laughs> as toilet paper yep. becomes less and less available. That's right? true. At least finishing off the number two maybe in the shower. But yeah. Now, now last podcast, you, you felt obligated to keep, yeah. to keep saying, look, we're going to joke and laugh. We understand it's a serious issue. Do you feel that same obligation to tell people, yes, yeah. we may chuckle? I do. Because, I mean, are you getting Especially any- as I waltz out, you know, I was... I've been preparing 83 since before you got here today. Today would be Selection Sunday. Oh. And so I've been walking out and watching the, the, the White House deal and, 
as it still remains very serious and spreading and getting more and more serious and that we're not at the the apex yet where we're going to come back down, where it's going to start getting better. I really feel that way. I feel like, yeah, I I do want to joke. I want to laugh. I want to have fun. I want to talk about stuff. I kind of like the fact that we're not prisoner to sports right now. Mm -hmm. So we can just shoot the you-know-what about old-time stories and old-time fun and things going on in the world. But I do... I do recognize, as we all do, that there are people dying every day, more and more people dying every day. And this is a serious, serious thing. And the last thing I want is for somebody who's a patron or a non-patron to listen to one of these shows and go, my mother is in the hospital. Yep. And these guys are making a, a joke about this whole thing. So I think we have to start every episode, at least until we're on the flip side of the curve. You know, what do they say? Flatten the curve. We want to flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. That's right. Flatten the curve. Like the Dukes of Hazzard used to. We want to get on. Until we get on the other side, I think we kind of have a responsibility to say, yeah, we're going to joke. We're going to have fun. We're going to tell stories. We're going to laugh. We're going to giggle. But we do so with at the top of our minds and in our heads, a real kind of delicate understanding of what's going on in the world. I hope nobody would. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I hope nobody would mistake what we're doing for mocking the situation no. or making light of it. I mean, no. of course not, right? We're just trying to make somebody laugh, hopefully. That's right. And then on top of making somebody laugh as we talk about coronavirus and different things that are going on and maybe our thoughts about some serious thoughts. I mean, I don't know who who's going to listen to us for, for expertise opinions on the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. But there's also other stuff. Like on, on 83, I've got Rep- Representative Strom Peterson on. He's from Edmonds. Okay. And he sponsored Bill 2638, which you don't know by number, but is going to be the gateway for us to be able to finally gamble on sports in the state of Washington. Uh, Bill 2638 is sitting on the governor's office in the governor's office on his desk right now. He's presumably going to sign it in the next like 15 or 20 days. Wow. And perhaps by the start of football season next year on opening day in the NFL, you will probably be able to go right down the street from where you live to the Snoqualmie Casino. Ooh, I forgot, yes. And put a few pesos on the Seattle Seahawks on opening day. To, it's entirely possible. It, it could get hung up a couple of different ways. You'll hear Strom Peterson. Now, when I had that conversation with him and when I play that conversation here on 83, for those in our audience that are eager to be able to gamble in the state of Washington, that's not me saying oh, I'm ignoring the coronavirus, that that's more important. No, I'm just, this is right. just a story to take our minds off of the coronavirus yeah. and a story that I think a lot of our listeners can resonate with because I know people keep asking me on Twitter, when can I gamble legally <laughs> on sports in the state of Washington? Well, it's coming. The poor state of Michigan, all fired up to gamble on sports. Close it down. Had Barry Sanders out there. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> the whole, I wonder if he's still got his talent fee for showing up. <laughs> and no sports. Uh, Did they ever see that coming in the state of Michigan? We'll have uh, a Strom Peterson, uh, the representative who sponsored this house bill and has kind of been the fuel behind getting sports wagering legalized on some i know a lot of people are still not happy with it no card rooms no online you're gonna have to do it in the tribal casinos and i know there's a lot of people especially in our audience are like screw that come on put it online let us do it wherever wherever everybody else does it that's not gonna happen in the state of washington we have to dip our toe in the water steps right because what you'll hear strom say is if i went for the jugular and I tried to get all of it. Uh, we would. It would have never gotten out of the house. It would have never got to where it is. Yeah. We had to do the smallest baby step first 
to get any type of legalized sports gambling in the state of Washington. He will be a representative of Strom Peterson, and you'll hear what you're allowed to gamble on, what you're not. No Huskies. No Washington State Cougar gambling mm, legally. Okay. You'll hear all of that from him. Is, is that the yeah. way it is in the state of Nevada? Can you not gamble on UNLV? Well, it used to be you couldn't, but I think you can now. Okay. And I think what Strom, and I don't want to give away Strom's interview, but he'll say, he'll, you'll hear him say, you know, you start by respecting Washington and Washington State, the universities, they don't want any gambling. They, they, they have pushed that they be excluded. Okay. Because they don't want that any leads to potential. Stuff. Yeah. It leads yeah, to yeah. stuff, right? Guys in hot tubs. But then like 15 years from now, if all this goes smoothly, which it will, you'll be able to bet on Washington. Washington. It's okay. just a matter of time. I'm just time. curious. Jason D. Hamilton, the guy who used to sit in that chair on the disastrous Husky season, the weirdness of the Pac-12 tournament. He was calling the games for Washington yeah. and everything circulated, and then they canceled the whole tournament, then they canceled the NCAA. He talk about Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels. They're both going to the NBA. He's going to tell about, you know, which one's going to be drafted higher. You know, were we all too rough on Jaden McDaniels? What about Mike Hopkins? Is the is the shine now been lifted from him after this disastrous year? All of that with Jason D. Hamilton. Plus, he's going to tell me, exactly how we are going to go about the biggest problem for the Levies in the coronavirus era, which is screen time. This is going to be just oh, painful in yeah. this house. You have a daughter. You yeah. don't have sons. My guess is she doesn't do Xbox or Fortnite. Oh, it is. It's Kindle. It's iPad. Okay. It's TikTok. It's, it's better. Netflix. Believe me, you have it better with a daughter than you have it with sons. Well, I don't know. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, Kindle's fine. I mean, what, she's reading books on Kindle? Well, no, you can watch videos and you can go to Netflix and Amazon Prime. and It's the video games that we can't, we just can't control in this house on a normal day, let alone now they can't go to school. They're home all day. They're being told to not go out. Yeah. Their basketball and baseball practices and track practices have all been canceled. There's literally almost nothing to do. Last I checked. And we have to somehow police... <laughs> Getting them off of Xbox and Fortnite, it is a killer. The Xbox servers were down last I checked. Really? Yeah, they went down. Now, you could still play locally on just your machine, but if you like to play online, it was down. But I'm thinking, we got to get that fixed. We, we need it. Don't give these kids any reason to, to leave. If you, if you got them home quarantined, get those servers running. So you may have, everyone's got to pay a little bit during this time, right? Right. Companies have to take it a right. little bit. We've all lost money. Right. You may have to take it a little bit and just be a little more lenient on the Xbox and the video games. If it keeps them home and away from the mall or movies or whatever they want to do, you may have to think about that. The Xbox may save you. May keep him home a little bit more. Keep your kids around, you know? That's how I would look what at it. What if they had to read a book in the same room as the, <laughs> as the Xbox? What's a book again? College Wait. basketball insider Jeff Goodman from Stadium Sports. Longtime ESPN day. A guy on a day that would have... We're recording this on a day that would have been a celebratory selection Sunday. No selection Sunday. No March Madness. No brackets. We'd all be filling out our brackets when you listen to episode 83. The ball and is tipped. That's right. And then he's going to tell us what he has found out happened behind closed doors at the NCAA headquarters with Mark Emmert on how they tried to salvage it or didn't they try to salvage it. A 16-team field. He's got a lot of intel about that. But we will start the first segment of interviews will be a guy that was on two months ago or a month and a half ago. You remember Dr. Eric Ding. Yep. Harvard scientist. Mm-hmm. The, literally the smartest person that's ever been on Mitch Unfiltered. Am I second? No. Okay. The smartest guy, the most brilliant guy yeah. that's ever been two months ago or a month and a half ago was on this podcast <laughs> saying, stop freaking out. This is almost, almost saying this is nothing. Remember? Yep. 
I don't think he's saying this is nothing anymore. So we give him a second shot and we find out what his views are and what's going wrong and what we can do to help. And he's a Harvard scientist. He's an epidemiologist. He's a senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists. So this guy, this guy's as bright as they come. He's always on CNN and MSNBC and all these okay. different places. Great. Okay? All right. Now, have you done the Jason Hamilton interview yet? Yeah, it's all done. Oh, so he was allowed to come on. Yes. I was, okay. I was just checking. Because that might be up in the air going forward. So I just wasn't sure if oh if you've gotten any word oh, or not. So you're bringing I'm, that up. I'm, huh? Well, I just want to make sure that you already did it and that there's not going to be any cancellation. He's on the show. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Unless he calls me and says, <laughs> don't air it. <laughs> you can't air it. Is it called airing it? I don't know what it's called. When it's on a podcast, is it airing it? No, because there's no air that it's going on to. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. Just check in. Maybe we'll get some updates on that going forward. Okay. Hot shot. There isn't an episode 83 or any Mitch unfiltered without the great participation and cooperation of our sponsors who are stressed at this time. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Call 425-250-3150 with turbulence in the financial markets. Come very valuable opportunities in some respects. Jordan Flowers will make his Mitch Unfiltered debut here on 87 to explain with three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. Jordan Flowers has compiled an all-star team that's standing by to save you money. Interest rates, cheap money, buying opportunities, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call, who's listening to you during the upheaval in the markets that is the coronavirus. Tyler Hayes' team has been responsibly growing money for families for decades in its private wealth management division with offices along the West Coast, Bellevue, Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley, too, and the originator of Evervestment.com, a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth of many of Evergreen's clients. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Zeke's Pizza, for so many years now, my family, huge fans of Zeke's Pizza. What are we doing about restaurants and food during these times of uncertainty? Well, Zeke's president, Dan Black, will join us right here on 83 and explain what our favorite Northwest pizza place is doing to adhere to social restrictions and deliver you fantastic, worry-free pizza. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, with four locations, but the newest jewel at the spectacular downtown Hyatt Regency is temporarily closing down while Lindsey Schwartz's team plans for this difficult time. The Schwartz family will get the safety procedures down pat. Daniel's Broiler gift cards, a great way to continue to support our community business leaders in a tidy way for after we exit the woods in this thing. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses, episode number 83 begins right now unfiltered the senior athletes in college tennis players lacrosse players soccer players they're in their last year and they can't play their their lives are about school and go and, and playing they love the sport they play the sport out of and they, they it's been t- and it's the last year they're ever going to really be able to play that sport there's no pros for any of these people there's no next level and they've just been told before it starts you're done. Unfiltered. I think Rudy Gobert will forever be known, not only as a moron, which he is, he will forever to me be the number one dominant. Because when Rudy Gobert announced that he had it, and then Donovan Mitchell, he had spread it to his teammate. When that happened, all the other dominoes fell. Mitch is unfiltered. 
episode number 83, Hot Shot Scott. Episode Dion Branch. Yes, Dion Branch. I've been waiting so long to be able to say (laughs) episode Dion Branch. You said something that really resonated with me on 83 or 82U or 82P. I can't remember which one it was. You said how excited you were. Oh, yeah. I remember vividly. Can you give me a year so I can go back? No, I can't. I'm not good with you. I'm never good with years. But I can remember when he was in his contract dispute with the Patriots and he was clearly available to teams around the league Mm -hmm. and the Seahawks had an unbelievable need for a wide receiver. Mike Holmgren was the coach and there was this huge debate and it wasn't much of a debate on whether the Seahawks should go give go give the Patriots whatever they want to get this Super Bowl MVP and and great little wide receiver, Deion Branch. I remember on the air pushing so hard for that deal. I thought you had to be an absolute moron not to give the Patriots whatever. You had to get him. He was going to be what pushed the Seahawks over the top. I remember getting Holmgren on the show a couple of times and pleading with him, would you please go? I remember calling him off the air, leaving him messages. He probably thought I was a stalker. <laughs> please go get, this is a no-brainer. Go get him. Yeah, he was the Super Bowl I, MVP. If I, 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 I staked my rep, my, my hard-earned reputation <laughs> to this guy. Yeah, how's that reputation nowadays? Am I- <laughs> Sorry, I can't resist. Hard-earned. <laughs> go on. It was 2006 when he came to the Seahawks, so the year after they what won the Super Bowl. What a bust he was. <sighs> How wrong could I have been? As Arthur Fonzarelli used to say, I was he couldn't say it. I was God, I just thought it was the no-brainer. Then they went out and got him. I was like, thank you. And it just never didn't really work out. He was there for four years, I want to say. Then he went back to the Patriots. Did he he go back to the Patriots? 2010, yeah. He was nothing. Yeah. So episode Dion Branch, I don't think it's going to be episode Dion. I don't think so either. Episode Steve Rabel. Did you know that 83, Stevie Rabel wore 83 when he was a, a backup wide receiver for your Seattle Seahawks? Ibax. Hasselback. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ibax. He always starts it with Ibax for some reason. Nobody uses Ibax anymore. I know. Uh, Matthew under center, Ibax. Matthew. Yep, Steve Rabel. Episode Steve Rabel, who is retiring from his news job. From his news job, yeah. yeah. I remember that guy would do more. I, I would, you know the Torchlight Parade in Seattle, the big parade? I went to yeah. go watch that. He's doing the Torchlight broadcast. I'm thinking, does this guy ever say no to anything? No. I, I mean, he's a hard worker. So after yeah. all these years of doing the 11 o'clock news, good yeah. for him getting to stay home with his wife. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be episode Steve Rabel. Uh, I don't think I don't think either. people in St. Louis and Chicago, those people no. we're talking about, are going to enjoy episode Dion Branch <laughs> or uh, Steve Ray. I would agree with you. Which brings us to Ted Hendricks, who was a great like defensive and outside linebacker. The Stork, I think they called him, from the Raiders, Raiders 83, yeah. curly blonde hair. Tough guy. Tough. Yeah. Tough, tough on those Raiders defenses. Uh, we had Mark Clayton, my one of my favorite 83s, Dan Marino's favorite target Mark in Clayton, Miami. We yeah, had sure. Willie Galt, who wore 83, was an all-time track star. Yeah. At like Tennessee? No. Yes? Maybe. I don't know the college. Tennessee. I just remember him on the Bears. Yeah, he was on the Bears. 85 Bears. He, he might have just... been on the Raiders, too, at one point in his uh, life. Yeah, no? makes, that makes For sense. For half a second. Yeah. Uh, and then there's an obvious one that I won't mention that it's probably going to be named after. Okay. In fact, I'll give you a stump the band trivia question Ooh. for people who want to just kind of play around with this before we get to the other stuff segment and we actually name the show. Uh, I'll, I'll ask who, well, who, who, who is the all-time leader in receptions in Super Bowl games? You should be able to get that one right. It would be... Jerry Rice right. is the answer to so all the those question, questions. So the question, the 83 that probably will have this 
show named after him would be the answer to the question, who is second to Jerry mm-hmm. Rice in all-time Super Bowl receptions? He had a total of 951 in his career, 13, not, not in the Super Bowl, 951, <laughs> okay. 13,000 yards, 87 touchdowns, and he had 27 catches, I believe, in Super Bowl games. 87 which, touchdowns, a lot. Yeah. That's good. He's an 83. All right. So what do you got? What do you got new on the coronavirus? What do you got for me? Oh, I mean, what, well, do, what, do you, what, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? Are you feeling more scared? I mean, I like to kind of take everybody's pulse. Since I was with you, whatever that was, Thursday or Friday. Friday, yeah. You feel better, worse? Do you feel like we're in a better place nationally, internationally? Where are you, where are you on this? I tend to always feel better that we're getting a grip and we're getting kind do of you a think handle we on are? things. But I don't know if we are. Now, the one thing that we keep seeing is that the, the amount of cases is going to keep going up, right? We're just every day it's going up. Yeah. But not everyone's been tested, so people could be walking around with it. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's multiplying that fast. We're just starting to get caught up to people getting tested. Right. So I'm trying to stay optimistic that way, that we're just still testing people. That's the, to me, that's the scariest. But what you just mentioned is, well, there's two things for my money that make this scarier than, well... I was going to say anything. I've never felt. I've never seen anything like this before. Me neither. So, yeah. so I, don't even know, I don't even know how to relate. But there's two things that scare me out of my mind. Number one is what you just said, which is people are walking around with this virus with no symptoms, and they're spreading it. And, and the word is that you can spread it before you get symptoms. You don't need the symptoms yeah. to spread it. So people are spreading it without even being sick, even having the sniffles. I heard a doctor. That scares the hell out of me. A doctor said something really smart that I saw. He said, let's not act like you don't want to get it. Let's act like you have it and you don't want to spread it. Yeah. That's a great mindset to think think about. I think so. Because if if you knew you had it, you wouldn't be going anywhere, right? No. Right. So let's let's sort of act that way as much as we can. We all got to I think this Harvard scientist that these are these are the types of questions that I should ask the Harvard scientist when I get a chance to talk to him. He'll be uh, He'll be interview number one on episode 83. The other thing that I can't get out of my head, and it's everywhere you turn around, is the gap in seriousness of the coronavirus. Mm. Yeah. What I think is just intensely scary. And what I mean by the, the gap in seriousness, the fact that we have a virus that half of the country or half of the population, the younger half of the population, are not is not really taking seriously because they say the chances of us getting it are nil or small. And if we get it, we're young, we're vibrant, we're healthy. It's no big deal. It'll be like having a little fever and sniffles and we'll be done with it in three days. It's it's nothing to be concerned with. To have that and the same virus for the other 50% that are 60, 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, maybe compromised health-wise, that this is a, a literally a killer. It's the same virus. Right. And I think, I was just having this conversation with my wife. I think that really makes this complicated. And, and it's kind of a bizarre way to look at it. But I asked her, and I'll ask you this. Would we be better off, would we be ahead of the, the virus? Would we be better off as a country if the virus were, were more deadly across the board, I know that no one would wish that on their right. worst enemy. I know right? what you're saying, but, though. But, but, you know, hear me out. If this instead of a virus that was eh, not really taken seriously by 20s and 30s and 15s and 18s and 12s, but taken incredibly seriously by 70s and 80s and 90s, you know, with respiratory problems. Instead of that, if this were you get this virus you got 50 you got a 50% shot no matter what age yeah. you are it's it's a 50 it's it's an absolute terror 50 50 
to, to, to live, okay? The whole, I think we would all be addressing this completely different. I think you would have those scenes in bars in Nashville bars and in spring break yep. places and these all these places where the young people are out and about and and going in big numbers and, and celebrating no school and having a good old time. I think we would all be in our homes. Right. And then you'd obviously have an international crisis, a national crisis where that we would be there would be a law to be in your house. You can't can't come out. There would be a, a full quarantine of every curfew and quarantine. Absolutely. And yeah. Absolutely. But I just wonder whether we would be in a better place if that were the case. I think what what just makes this so, so maddening and confusing is you've got these young people who just don't really care. And they're probably carrying the virus around, spreading it around. And ultimately, that's end, that ends up in the elderly and killing people. And it's, I, I don't know what the, the I, unless you're going to start closing restaurants, closing bars, closing all these establishments, which encourage this type of participation, how do you get around that part of it? I think the gap is the scariest part. And it's not just young people versus older people, because my brother-in-law lives in Arkansas. And I sent him this video. You've probably seen it of the woman explaining to everybody what to do at a press conference. Right. Don't touch your face. Right. And after she says it, she licks her finger and turns the page. It was kind of funny. I sent it to him. Yeah. And he's like, that would be a one to people in Arkansas. <laughs> like, they, they wouldn't understand what was funny about that. Because they're, they're not really feeling it like people are in Seattle, right? Yeah. So it's just not even young people. It's just different parts of the country. Right. That bar, that tweet that woman sent out who said Nashville or downtown Nashville still undefeated showed a packed bar in Nashville. I a know, live I saw band that. Just- and crazy right and so it's just not even the the young people it's the just all over the country people have different attitudes about it because they may or may not but feel in general but in general terms there is this mindset you have to agree yep in general terms there is this mindset of 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 people that are under the age of like 30 people in their 20s people in their teens whatever that just are not paying attention to this. We went to a skate park today. There was 15 kids there. Okay. Yeah. And that and that's scary to me. I mean because yeah. because those kids have it too and they're trans, they're transmitting it to others and it's growing because of that and it's ending up in the elderly and it's ending up killing people. And yep. and I don't know I don't know how to get from beyond that except from what I just said is if we start shutting down restaurants and bars, do we really want to shut down restaurants and bars? Well, they're making some What moves. is that going to do to the economy? You're going to shut down all restaurants and bars and say only we're going to do delivery and only drive through or whatever? Is that way we're going to, is that the way we're going? Well, we talked about earlier, everyone's going to have to make sacrifices. Companies, businesses, us, everyone has to make some sort of sacrifice. And I, we went to Starbucks today and it was grab and go. They put all the chairs up. There's no sitting in there. You're welcome to get a drink, but you got to take it and go. So people are starting to make moves. I saw some bars and restaurants are going to be shut down at nine o'clock in certain parts of the country. So, yeah, I mean, I think you have to do that. It's yeah, it's going to cost people money and the economy is going to suffer. Is it worth it? Well, I think it is. And from a sports perspective, we talked about this a lot on 82U. The optics of it, there's obviously the safety measure of not having big crowds at NBA games and college basketball games and all these other stadiums. I get all that. And then there is the, should we not play or participate? I mean, the the NFL just ratified, the players just ratified this new CBA. And now we're at the point where... On Wednesday of this week, you can start signing free agents. Jadevian Clowney could sign a $25 million a year contract with somebody. Tom Brady could sign with the Chargers. 
There's going to be a lot of this is the time of year where there's a lot of wheeling and dealing and a lot of celebratory multi-million dollar deals. Yeah. Now, is that safe? Sure, that's safe. You can sign a deal. I suppose you're not supposed to bring people in to give them, uh, you know, medical tests and so forth. But you could do deal. Tom Brady could do a deal with the Chargers from his home on a teleconference or whatever. But does the NFL want that? I mean, do we want to hmm. be reading about when everybody else is batted down in their houses and and losing money hand over fist and the and the markets are going down, down, and down? And some and people don't have business, healthcare and businesses yeah. are closing up and, and wondering how they're going to get to the next day. Does the NFL really want the headlines to be? Oh, Tom Brady just got fifty million from the Chargers. Oh, Jadavian Clowney just got one hundred and five yeah. million. Uh, is that, really is happy that a, for him. <laughs> the optics of this yeah. is is a is a huge conversation. And what I said to you on 82U, which I'll say again, is I think at some point, I hope it's sooner rather than later, the optics question will turn from does this look good? Should we do this? To maybe the country and the world needs us again. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's time, maybe not to bring crowds into NBA arenas, but maybe it's time for the Clippers and the Lakers to play against one another, 30 guys in an arena, some cameras, some media, whatever, no crowd, but something that the nation and the world needs. Maybe the nation and the world needs soccer games without crowds, where it's a little bit more, where it's safe. You know, obviously it's not going to be completely 100% safe with, with, with players, but at what point do the optics of, does this look good, us doing this right now, turn from that to we need the escape, it's therapeutic, sports is very healthy, and it's a way for us to... Maybe somebody's going to make the argument. We want people to stay at home. You really want people to stay at home? Well, let's put sports back on TV. Let's give them something to watch at home. Right now, you're telling 100 million American sports fans, we want you to stay at home, but you can't watch an NCAA tournament game. You can't watch an NBA game. You can't watch a soccer game. There will be no baseball. We're essentially telling them to stay home, but not really helping them out in terms of entertainment leisure at home to keep them home, right? Yeah. I mean, I go on Twitter and I see an NFL story. Somebody signs a contract or somebody gets cut. Just some, And it kind of makes me happy for a second that I could read about something. Ryan Tannehill on Sunday. There you go. $125 yeah. million dollar contract. Yeah. Or something like that, right? Big one. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I'm already there. I already, I'm already longing for some normalcy, just some sports nonsense that we all enjoy and we all love. I don't know if that's going to change the fact that I don't know if that's going to make everyone want to go back into stadiums and start playing games against each other. I don't know. I don't see I don't see that happening anytime soon with crowds or without crowds. Like I said, you on 82, U. I don't know if these athletes want to be the canary in the coal mine. Like, why, why should they throw themselves out there to see? Well, let's see if this is safe. It may or may not be. Who knows? And what I said to you on 82, U, which I don't have any reason to believe is untrue. Every one of those players want to play. Yeah. I'm they sure want they to do. play. Well, every I want to play too. I mean, I want to go to movies. Every NCAA, this was not a decision that was given to the players and the coaches because the coaches and players all want to play. So I think at some point, if we get to the point where it's we're going to empower those players and the NBA in 30 days is going to say, okay, what do we do now? Do we consider playing some games in empty arenas to give give the nation something that maybe they want or they need, and they go to the players and say, "Yeah, there's a risk. There's a, there's the there's the obvious risk, but mm-hmm. what what do you want to do?" I think the players are going to want to play. 
I'm sure they're going to want to I don't play. know that the Utah Jazz, I don't think anybody's going to want to play against the Utah Jazz. Right. Especially now what I see, the guy from the Pistons, who had 30 and 11 against Rudy Gobert, now he's got, right. he tested positive for the coronavirus. But I think the vast majority of players want to play. Well, of course they want to play. Does that mean it's safe? Well, them, them wanting to play. I mean, yes, they're 25 and they're competitive athletes. Of course they want to play. Right. I want to go to a concert. I want to go see Pearl Jam. Well, is it safe if we get to the point where they all can be tested before they play? Yeah. And, I mean, we, can, and we can guarantee somehow that in a basketball game between 12 guys versus 12 guys, that all 24 guys test negative for the coronavirus. If we get to the point we have that many tests and we can test these guys so that they can be sure that they're playing against those that are negative coronavirus, does that change your mind at all? What if it's 12 on 10? What if two guys test positive? It's now 12 on 10. Is that a fair game? Well, it's a tough, it's tough. It's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know how you get around any of it. I mean, I saw a rumor today that the NBA wants to come back August 1st. I don't know if you saw that. It's just a no, rumor. It's not August 1st. August 1st. Not confirmed. Yeah. August 1st. August 1st. That's April, May, June. July. You're talking about four months. Right. That's when they want to come back. Wow. And that's just a rumor. It's not substantiated. But and speak, right. speaking of Rudy Gobert really quick, we were pretty tough on him. And for 500 good, grand. You're going to talk about the 500 grand. Yes, I am. I mean, I've, I feel like he sort of, you know, deserves it because we were we were tough. I'm sure the whole country's been tough on him for yeah, being kind of an idiot. He made a mistake. Yeah. He was stupid. He, he was he was he was being an idiot and he made a mistake. He's, and. He's forking over a half a million dollars yeah. uh, toward the pandemic. He wants to divvy it up between different groups, you know, people, the, the workers at the stadium and all that. So good for him for realizing his mistake and then coming out of the pocket. All right, let's do four interviews. Representative uh, Strom Peterson will be second. First will be Eric Ding, Dr. Eric Ding, the, the brilliant Harvard-educated scientist, will talk to us about what he thinks the biggest issues around the coronavirus and what we can do and We'll throw all these questions at somebody that actually knows instead of me asking. There's a difference between me asking you <laughs> here we go. and me asking here we him. Go. Uh, Representative Strom Peterson on sports gambling here in the state of Washington. Jason D. Hamilton on the disastrous Husky season. College basketball insider Jeff Goodman on what actually happened behind closed doors with the NCAA and their attempt to get the NCAA tournament Great. done. Uh, we'll do all of that, and then you and I, for the other stuff segment, we'll laugh and we'll carry on, and I'll tell you what I thought of your television selections. Good, and I have a question for you about a coach that's returning to college oh, basketball. Oh, yeah. yeah. A coach that we have experience with. I didn't know that, yeah. but I figured you had some opinions on him. Okay. Hot shot, before we get to maybe the most important 20 minutes that Mitch Unfiltered has done in our first 18 months, Harvard scientist Dr. Eric Ding with the truth and what we all need to know and do during this pandemic era, the financial markets have obviously been unsteady, to say the least. But with that comes some very favorable opportunities to borrow money. And that's where it's important to hear from our great partner, Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Thank you for having me on, Mitch. And I want to give a quick thank you to all your patrons and listeners that have reached out to us over the past really year, uh, especially in the last several months. So thank you to uh, all your faithful listeners and trust in us. Uh, right now is unprecedented time and amazing time to be looking at real estate. I know uh, quite a bit of refinance calls coming in. 
talking to clients, but also the home buying arena right now, as far as opportunities in real estate with either looking at listing your home and buying, but there are certainly opportunities as far as investment properties or finding a home. Listings are still coming on. It's a hot market here in Seattle and plenty of great opportunities for for people to be buying and getting into homes right now. What would you say about the numbers? Should we know anything about refinance numbers and interest rates and, and what's going on in the marketplace, Jordan? Interest rates are still all-time lows. Every leading indicator right now is uh, showing that rates are are low and uh, projections are for them to stay low, especially with all the uncertainty in the market. Typically, when stocks go down, money moves over into into the bond market, the securities of the U.S. bond market. So as far as interest rates and buying right now, rates are low. It's a great time to look at buying or even still refinancing, for sure. So the people that are calling in right now to Jordan Flowers' Guild Mortgage team in Kirkland, the phone's ringing. What are people on the other end looking for right now? You know, it's across the board. We have people calling in looking to simply drop their interest rate, uh, stay on the same term of payoffs, perhaps drop their interest rate and save the most uh, monthly drop their interest rate and take cash out for home projects or paying off student loans or credit cards. Just across the board, uh, there's savings for, for anybody there. A lot has been dropping from maybe 27 years left to potentially 20 years left and, and speeding up the payoff cycle. So quite a bit of uh, opportunity on the refinance side to, to save money or accelerate the loan payoff and build more equity. So, yes, the Fed cuts rates to zero on Sunday, but the Fed rate and mortgage rates are not the same. Short-term loans, cars, credit cards, et cetera, versus home purchases. Give Jordan Flowers a call directly at 425-250-3150 and see if your family can turn this horrible time into something of a positive. Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150 unfiltered the worst is yes ahead for us it is how we respond to that challenge that's going to determine what the ultimate endpoint is going to be we have a very very critical point now if you look at the curves that i've described multiple multiple times this window that we're in is going to be very important for us to stay ahead of this curve As episode 83 continues, time to revisit one of my favorite guests, the smartest guy that's ever been on this show, and that's not saying too much, but he's he's pretty smart. The brilliant Dr. Eric Ding, epidemiologist at Harvard, senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists. Dr. Ding, thanks for being back on Mitch Unfiltered. You were with us a couple of months ago. You might remember I was asking you about my son going to Hawaii to play in a basketball Mm game. in a basketball tournament, uh, and you weren't yeah. you weren't overly concerned with the coronavirus, as very few of us were. But the speed with which the tenor has changed, I've never seen anything like this mm. before. Yeah, well, I was very concerned, but in terms of uh, traveling to Hawaii at that moment, I think it was still okay. But would I still to say say the same thing now? Absolutely not. And um, this epidemic has literally caught up with us and caught a lot of our public health officials napping. So I'm glad that people are finally waking up, though. Where are we? Uh, There's lots of rhetoric out there, tons of political posturing. What do you think is the medical truth currently right now, Dr. Ding, in the United States? The truth is, and I've been shouting this on the mountaintops, is 
we have really botched the public health response over the last three weeks. We should have begun testing three or four weeks ago and when things have been really, really frozen, unfortunately, and we literally potentially missed an eightfold rise that we could have originally contained. But now it's kind of cats out of the bag. You've heard stories about in Italy, we are literally just two to three to four weeks away from Italy. And if we don't do anything now, it will get a much, much worse. And, and we'll, if we do containment, we'll pay some short-term pain, but in return for long-term gain in the number of lives in the epidemic. So it's, it's a very difficult rock and a hard position, but we really have to lock down as much as we can, or else we will become an Italy runaway disaster. Dr. Eric Ding on Twitter. Dr. Eric with a C, Ding on Twitter. you got to follow him. Lots of great stuff. So I'll ask you to define everybody's definition of containment. You just used the word containment. What is Dr. Ding's specific definition of containment? So containment traditionally in an ep- epidemic is you test, test, test. You find the people who are positive. You contact trace everyone that they were ex, uh, exposed to in the last week or so. And then you try to test them and you make them all quarantine along with the person who tested uh, positive. That is in a normal situation when you have a handful of cases and you can put, uh, track them down and do all that. But containment in terms of uh, and runaway epidemic, once you have hundreds of cases, you it's really hard, and it's all about social distancing. Social distancing and limiting public uh, events. Like the CDC just one hour ago declared that any activities with more than 50 people gathering in one place needs to be canceled. And that's actually much harsher than what uh, Jay Inslee um, declared uh, about a week ago with banning 250 person events cdc now said any events over 250 so these and then other social distancing things like school closures other business restrictions anything to limit the number of interactions that is part of the containment process and we have to go hard and we have to go fast because this virus stops for no one and it doubles every six days and you can do the math how bad it can get if we don't stop um the virus now do we have enough test kits to do what you're talking about? There was this there was this issue, I guess, two or three weeks ago that they didn't want people running out for tests when they had symptoms because there just weren't enough tests and testers available to accommodate yeah. all that. Where are we now on that, Dr. Ding? Yeah, so right now, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we have the test kits to test for the virus directly. <laughs> the bad news is we're running low on the reagents, the chemicals needed to extract the sample from all your swabs so that after you extract it, you can then run the test on it. Right now we're bottlenecked at the reagents. Many places are critically running low because normally this kind of uh, chemical is very unique and not used at a high volume and there's not global demand on a surge basis for them and now we really are on a surge basis of running low and of course there's also manpower um to do these tests you have to have some sort of biology and lab experience do these tests and uh, many places they're trying to train people as quickly as possible but there's 
lot of limitations. So the tests are still bottlenecked, unfortunately. From my novice eye, Dr. Ding, two aspects strike me as horrifying about this. Number one, we've got a variance in seriousness between how the younger mm-hmm. population is taking this and how the older population and medically compromised population is taking that. And that, mm-hmm. combi- right. that combined with the supposed evidence that the transmission of this virus is happening with those of us that are asymptomatic. We don't have any symptoms, and we're still carrying around this yeah. and transmitting it. So you put those two things together, you've got young people partying at bars and going out on spring break and packing restaurants. Not They mm-hmm. don't have a care in the world because they're saying to themselves, hey, we won't get it, and if we do, it'll be the sniffles for us. And they're turning around, and that that all ends up in the elderly, and it ends up killing people. What do you say to that? Yeah, that is exactly exactly the point I want to reemphasize, because people are way too complacent about this, and young people are too selfish and in many ways ignorant about the dangers that they have on other people. So, eighty percent of people have mild and moderate, and by the way, mild and moderate is still pretty severe. It's uh, in a severe cold, um, fever, chills, short, slight shortness of breath. It's it's still a pretty severe uh, disease. And 20% will need hospitalization uh, or more. And actually, depending on some uh, the new data that comes out of Italy, Italy is now saying that 16% of all their cases need the ICU, which is critical condition. 16% of all cases who test positive in critical condition, which is really high. Hopefully, you know, in China, only, it was only 5%, but that's an enormous amount of ICU that we don't have. And again, a lot of people who have comorbidities are totally suffering. But young people, in certain ways, even if 80 out of 100 people are young people who are pretty mild, the problem is they don't stop socializing. They're still going to bars and hanging out with other friends and and that 80 people will actually balloon into 800 people, and they're going to bring it home to grandma, grandpa, and their friends who have other various conditions from asthma to heart disease, diabetes, blood pressure, and that is what's going to kill them. And these young people may be okay, but they're going to be the conduit to all this mortality and morbidity because they are the ones who are spreading it and making this epidemic run away potentially. That's why young people, even if you're potentially healthy and going to survive this, those around you may not. So this, please take care and mind this epidemic, even if you don't think you're going to get sick. Dr. Ding, speak to me, because I think by speaking to me and my family, you'll really be speaking to a, a, a huge part of our audience. I am I am a parent of, uh, of two boys, one who's 17, one who's 14. Obviously, schools are closed here in Seattle. I've got a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. I've got an eighth grader. Um, they're active, they're healthy, they're home. What should we be doing, our family of four? Should they be not going outside? Should they be not going to the gym to exercise? Mm-hmm. Should they not be throwing the ball around or playing baskets outside? Should we not be going to restaurants? Should we be mm-hmm. going, should we having food delivered? I understand there's really very little yeah. evidence of the transmission of this disease through food. So maybe food is the least of our problems, but the, the conditions within yeah. the restaurants are obviously could be some sort of a problem. Talk to me. How should my family of four be behaving on a day-to-day basis, doctor? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something every family uh, are thinking about right now. I think, first of all, it depends on where you go. If you're going out into an outdoor park to jog in the woods, I think you're fine. 
biking a, a trail, you're fine. Any solitary activity or activity with just your family with without close contact outdoors, those are still fine. But indoor gyms, hot yoga studios, um, and lots of uh, kind of confined spaces with other people or or areas where people have breathed heavily, those are really tricky. Restaurants, many restaurants, as you know, are extremely, extremely crowded. And this is why oftentimes, you know, Massachusetts shut down all the restaurants, in addition to France and, um, and other countries in Europe as well. They basically blocked all cafes, uh, locked down against all these kind of restaurant gatherings. Delivery, I think, could be a good idea. But obviously, be mindful of the bags and they come in because yep. the delivery person might potentially be carrying it. So this is why I feel like food, you should be careful. But at the same time, I think the food itself should be okay if you directly consume it because it's hot enough that the virus will degrade upon contact with the food. And again, you can always directly microwave uh, anything to sanitize any germs. It will, microwaving immediately kills anything in that respect. But in terms of general activities, try to stay indoors in your home. Stop going to air the places where people congregate or may have gone through uh, a lot of people in, ter in terms of foot traffic. Because these kind of things, that is the kind of breakage in, in the transmission that we really need to do to stop this virus. Because we have no vaccine. We don't have uh, antiviral drugs that are tested and proven yet. Our only countermeasure right now is social distancing and these containment measures. So go outside to exercise in the park by yourself, far away from other people or far away enough that you won't be sharing the air with them. But otherwise, please stay indoors. And that is the best course of action. Grocery stores, Dr. Ding. Oi, grocery stores. That's the other thing. They're so crowded these days. And half the time they're obviously empty of shelves. Uh, I think grocery store delivery might be a good idea. Okay. Uh, either Amazon Fresh, Amazon Prime, or yeah. you know, Peapod, depending on where you are. I think grocery delivery, if you can do it, is the best. But again, be careful and try to sanitize. I would take, use a bleach uh, um, and pour it and mix it with some water. Use a sponge and you can sponge anything that comes from the outside. Just you basically uh, sanitize yourself uh, of anything that arrives from the outside. But in terms of actual shopping, that is one of the biggest risks, especially if you have to line up. Oh, just avoid lines if at all possible. Mm -hmm. And this is why we're in such a tricky issue because people still need to get food. But again, takeout, food deliveries, if possible, these are things in which keep your distance from other crowds of people is the best thing we can do. My final question for you, Dr. Ding, Dr. Eric Ding. He's terrific. He's been kind to us. You can follow him on Twitter, Dr. Eric Ding at Twitter, D-I-N-G-E-R-I-C. How long does it take typically for the virus to run its course once contracted? I understand there's really not much you yeah. can do. You just kind of treat the symptoms and, and let it ride out. We're mm -hmm. seeing athletes. We talk about sports all the time. We're seeing NBA ball players that have said, okay, I've got the, the virus. Tom Hanks and his wife have the virus, and they're just kind of mm -hmm. waiting. It. How long does it take to typically go through the human system and come out? And then my next yeah. question to that is, can somebody be reinfected 
once the virus goes through his body or her body, could you get it again? Right. So let's talk about the uh, the first question in terms of how long is it. First of all, from the moment you are infected, um, which you don't know exactly when, it'll take about on average five to seven days before you show symptoms. Average. Okay. Some people show symptoms within two or three days. Some people show symptoms 10, 12 days later. There's actually some studies that show that this is the worrisome part, that some people could show symptoms beyond 14 days, like on the 15th day or something. Like one out of 100 people will show symptoms after 14 days of initial infection. And that's actually tricky because quarantines are 14 days long trying to isolate people before they are released. But again, on average, five to seven days. And then once you have symptoms, about um, you'll usually have developed cough and fever at the same time. And then... Uh, the total course depends on how severe it is. If you're part of the mild to moderate, it will be about two weeks, two and a half weeks. If you are a severe case that requires hospitalization, it could be three to six weeks. And those are WHO numbers directly. If you just look at the average course, say someone who recovers, they'll have cough and fever for like a week or so, then shortness of breath will kick in one week's time after they develop symptoms. And then depending on how bad it is, you know, the shortness of breath may require hospitalization if it worsens. And altogether, on average, is about three weeks long. But again, mild to moderate, two weeks, but severe, three to six weeks. So it is a very long disease. And that's actually one of the problems. It's not a fast-killing disease, and it's not a super mild disease it is just a very long disease, and that is actually what's going to clog our healthcare system, take up hospital beds, ICUs, and completely jam up our, our healthcare system to the point that if you broke your foot, or get in a car accident, or have a heart attack, and you go to the hospital and it's completely overrun, that will actually increase your mortality in addition to directly dying from COVID-19. And how deadly is it? Well, it depends. It's about between 1% to 3%. And why is it such a large range? Well, it depends on how good your healthcare system is. And right now in Lombardy, Italy, Northern Italy, which one has one of the best healthcare systems uh, rated in the world by global rankings, their mortality is 8%. And the reason of that is because their hospital system has been completely swamped and overcapacity. And it's when it's overcapacity, that people really start dying in high numbers. So this is why it's so key for containment, slow down the virus so that we don't overswarm our hospitals and die from the virus, in addition to dying from other causes if you needed to go to the hospital. So again, this is not a disease to be taken lightly. Um, and finally, reinfection. This is a tricky issue. We're not sure if it's about reinfection or some people have actually tested negative, negative, and they think that they're healthy again with no more symptoms, but then the virus flares back up or the tests are just not very good. Remember the Diamond Princess you know, debacle of yeah. these repatriating American citizens? They tested negative, negative, and then just as they're bored, about to board the plane, they tested positive again. I don't think they were reinfected as much as the test has a, has a problematic false negative rate. Your positives are real positives, but a lot of negatives you could still have it. And that's why oftentimes there is someone who was released really early from San Antonio from quarantine and then tested positive after they were released. 
this is a very tricky virus in that uh, regards. So, you know, even after you recover, you should still take every precaution because you could potentially flare back up within your system if you didn't entirely clear from your system. So that so, um, so you've actually is why we're hoping for a vaccine in the near future. So you've answered the last question, which was going to be once the symptoms go away after those 21 days, just because you feel a hundred percent better and all the all the symptoms of the virus have gone away, that doesn't necessarily mean that the virus is gone. There's still a time period after you feel a hundred percent where the virus is still in your body, correct? Right. There and there's studies that show that people can be virus shedding from anywhere from eight to thirty seven days, which is much longer than the average twenty one day uh, that I told you about earlier. So this is a very tricky virus. Even after you recover, you should still be extremely, extremely careful. Maybe even though you test negative and you were released from the hospital, you could still harbor like a low levels of this virus. Mm-hmm. And you should still try to avoid people if possible. This is a very tricky disease. It, it, it's not only infectious even before you realize you're sick. It also could be infectious potentially even after you test negative and uh, clear your symptoms. Again, if you think of it this way, a virus that kills fast, kills quickly, will flame out quickly. But virus that has a long incubation period, infectious during the incubation period, mild for a lot of the uh, young people who are socially active and can spread it very, very widely and um, kills slowly and sheds its virus even after you are potentially better, that is a virus that will conquer the world. Yeah. And that is the virus we have right now. It's so interesting that you say that because we started this podcast in our first segment with my hypothetical that if this virus were more deadly and there were a much higher death rate and it it involved the entire population, young, medium, and old – that we would be far ahead of it because everybody would be taking this seriously, batting down the houses, mm-hmm. no kids would be going out, nobody would be going out, and would allow us to get our arms around it. But by the because of the fact that there's such a huge part of the population that is kind of ignoring it, and then there's a huge part of the population that it's killing, that's the trouble in all this, right? That's the that's the problem with this. Yeah. Yeah. Every every virus that spreads globally that induces a pandemic has to have a a key factor that it basically it's mild for some that they take it not seriously. They're aloof that they're infected. They just keep going on the merry ways and keep spreading it to hundreds of other people um, obliviously and all the while killing the fraction of people who are not just old, but are smokers, mm-hmm. asthma, mm-hmm. bronchitis, COPD, diabetes, heart disease, kidney disease, uh, cystic fibrosis, all these diseases that which really tax your cardiac vascular systems basically every one of those people with those kind of comorbidities have shown that they are at extremely higher risk of being hospitalized and entering icu and it's it's bad there's studies in china that shows if you enter the icu you have a 50 percent chance of dying within 30 days wow. so wow. this is a very serious wow. virus wow. and Everyone, including young people especially, need to take it seriously for not only their sake, but everyone around them, including their parents 
and grandparents. Well stated, Dr. Eric Ding, the brilliant epidemiologist at Harvard and senior fellow at the Federal a Federation of American Scientists. You can, again, follow him, Dr. Eric Ding, on Twitter, Dr. E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. Thanks again for the visit, Doc. It's great to visit with you. I wish, you. wish we could do it under better circumstances. Let's, uh, let's, let's do it again sometime when we can smile and laugh a little bit more. How about that? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Best of luck to your family and everyone else out there. Listen, a very important 20 minutes with Dr. Ding. I don't think enough people, especially here in the Northwest, can hear those 20 minutes. Send the link. Share the info. Let's all of us do our part, young and old, before it's too late. Evergreen Golf Call is well positioned for this downward turn in the markets. The Evergreen Private Wealth Management Division has been managing families' monies for decades with the goal of comfortable retirements for people all over the world. I've had personal experiences with other firms that really only want to know if I meet their minimum beforehand. Tyler Hayes' team is different in that respect. Their client compatibility survey at evergreengolfcall.com is one of the several ways that Evergreen listens and understands your unique situation before even the first conversation. Everyone's risk tolerance, time horizon, investment preferences, they're all different. Evergreen's wealth consultant gets that information ahead of time so that he or she can tailor make an approach and strategy that's perfect for you and your family's needs. There are even times that Evergreen reaches out to prospective clients to let them know that their investment philosophies just don't align. And that's okay. EvergreenGovCall.com, G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com, a perfect place to start. Just click on its client compatibility survey and answer a few questions. No commitment, just a starting point. Evergreen GovCall, a premier wealth manager during these times in the Northwest and beyond. Unfiltered. The Puyallup Tribes Chair says allowing sports betting in their casino sports bar, a regulated 21 and over facility, makes perfect sense. He and other tribal leaders encouraged state senators to back a bill allowing sports betting in tribal casinos, and they opposed another bill to legalize it in privately run card rooms. A bill backed by some as a way to generate state tax money through gambling licenses, something that would not happen with the tribes. You know, I think our next topic on this episode 83 is of keen interest to many in our audience. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Representative Strom Peterson of Edmonds, who sponsored legislation to allow sports gambling in tribal casinos. House Bill 2638. Strom, thanks for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Appreciate it. Before we hit on 2638, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, we're recording this chat on the final day of the 2020 state legislative session. What's the tenor like with the increasing dire conditions of the coronavirus, especially here in the state of Washington, Strom? Thank you for that, Mitch. We just literally just got an update from the Secretary of Health. Uh, They are really pulling out all of the stops. We're looking at some uh, pretty intensive emergency funding for our public health agencies across the state. Um, I will say that they are doing a great job of coordinating uh, with each other, getting the word out, and really trying to keep people calm, but you know, stressing the importance of, of hand washing, of social distancing, and really trying to do whatever they can to stop the spread of this disease. It's, it's going to spread. There will be more cases, but 
they're doing whatever they can to, to limit the long-term effects. And from a sports perspective, Strom, which is what we deal with a lot here on this show, we're not going to be congregating together for sporting events for a while here in, in the state of Washington, right? That is true, yes. Um, you know, you think of, yeah, Sounders game, uh, you know, they're obviously the, the NCAA tournament is, I think, has put restrictions on on crowds if they're if they're playing in uh, or having people in the in the stands at all. So this is yeah, this is serious, and it certainly is going to have effect an effect on you know those things that we love to do to kind of take our minds off of situations just like this. Yeah, and some of those things that we love to do, at least a lot of our listeners, they like to wager. On sports, so let's segue to Bill twenty six thirty eight that you sponsored. Big news last month, and then late last week. Update our listeners where we currently are, Strom, and what's the updated timetable now? Yeah, so the bill passed the Senate, so it is on the way to the governor's uh, desk for his signature. I don't have a schedule on when that's going to happen. Um, of course, what this does really creates the the framework for the tribes and the state to negotiate a compact that's how we do this kind of government to government relations uh, i know the tribes are really interested in getting this going as quickly as possible i've heard some saying they they would love to have sports wagering in the tribal casinos by you know by kickoff of you know first day of football season so there's a lot of negotiating to be done, but I think both sides are really excited about taking this, you know, small step into into sports wagering. So, so Strom, is it a, is it a foregone conclusion that the governor will sign the bill over the allotted amount of? I don't even know what the the rules are. Twenty days or something? He's got twenty days to sign the bill once he gets it. Is that right? Um, and to be honest with you, I can't remember the exact timeline either. But yes, he has. I yeah, I think thirty days from the end of session to sign everything. And every indication is that he is planning on on doing that. If and he, just kind of as a reminder, yeah. you know, by signing it, he's opening up the negotiation to for the state to negotiate with our tribal partners to come up with a compact for sports wagering. So even when he signs it, that doesn't mean we're going to get to start betting. Um, but we have to go into this government to government negotiation. And that's going to take some time, but I'm talking to some of uh, the tribal leaders. They're excited, and they're hoping to have some of these compacts done by uh, the beginning of football season. Strom, I'm I'm all in your corner, but let me ask the questions that need to be asked. Uh, Some of the controversies to this begin with no statewide referendum. Your thoughts on that? Right. You, you know, the obviously the initiative process is, is still open. One of the reasons that we put this emergency clause, which is, you know, which we do on occasion here in Washington in the legislature, is really to 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 really go after that illicit market that we know is pervasive not only in Washington but around the country. You know, these are offshore companies coming out of Russia, coming out of you know organized crime that many people think are legitimate, but, you know, really when it comes down to it, there's some pretty scary stuff out there. Right. So by putting in the emergency clause, we're kind of front-loading the Gambling Commission's ability to really go after the illicit market, get these compacts going, so people, you know, people want to follow the law. So this way we can get this gaming in the tribal casinos so people can go there and have a good time and, you know, bet on the hawks and do it legally and all above board and safely. The other part of this is that the regular commercial card rooms 
are left out in the cold. It's only tribal casino, Strom. Why do we go that route? Do we feel like that was the only way that we could pass it? Is is there a next step in the future to increasing the exposure to all of this? You know, there is always a next step uh, in the future. I think this was a smart way to kind of dip our toe in the water of this. Uh, to be honest with you, and I've, I've had this conversation with others, I think if we had a broader expansion of gambling that the bill wouldn't have passed. We have a lot of people in the legislature that are really concerned about gambling expansion. They're really concerned about the effects it has on, on families, people with you know, addiction problems, uh, kids being able to access it. Um, so you know, the original bill kind of brought from the card rooms really opened it wide up. It was statewide internet access gambling, and that really scared a lot of people off, understandably. So this is, that's why we're taking this small step if this proves to be to work out well, you know, in a few years, there's nothing stopping the uh, future legislature from taking a look and saying, yeah, we we can take a next step. And maybe we do talk to our card room partners um, about that. There's going to be strong opposition, as you know, you've already heard it from companies like Maverick Gaming an owner of up to 20 card rooms threatening to spend millions and millions of dollars to block this. And then, of course, what we just talked about, no statewide referendum. Is there a chance that this ends up being challenged in the state Supreme Court and that hangs it up again for a long time, delays it again for a long time, Strong? Um, I would imagine there's going to be a court challenge. Uh, I don't think the court challenge will stop those negotiations from starting. So we could probably kind of run on parallel tracks that the, the, you know, the governor's office can sit down with the tribes and negotiate these compacts while the court is looking at this issue. Um, again, we've put emergency clauses on, on a lot of pieces of legislation, and that's really a legislative prerogative. And the courts have backed that up um, time after time when any time an emergency clause has been challenged. So I don't think the challenge will be successful, but I'm sure it's coming. From what I can tell Strom and the people that I know and the people that I've talked to over my 25 years here in Seattle talking to a sports audience, you just mentioned earlier what they really, really want, which is the online arm of this because there's so many different states that have gone in that direction. Go back to that topic. We're years and years and years, if ever, away from being able to gamble on online on these sporting events? I think that is going to be a really tough, tough hill to climb uh, in the legislature, certainly as, as it's made up now. Um, again, you know, the initiative process is out there for citizens, if that's really a push. Washington kind of historically has been pretty conservative around expansion of gambling. I think when you think about some of the dangers that are involved, especially with youth access, you know, we see how often, well, adults as well, but kids are on their phone. You know, that kind of access is really concerning to a lot of educators. University of Washington, Washington State colleges are really concerned about their students and, you know, of course, younger kids as well. So so I think that's I think that's a ways down the road before we really get to that kind of Internet access. Strom, a couple of last questions. What's the difference between this bill that you sponsored that we hope will have success and the one by Eric Pettigrew a year or so ago? Really, it was just um, a little more language that we put in there. Yeah, Eric's bill, I, to be honest with you, we probably could have used that vehicle, but we decided to, to do a little bit of rewriting and, and really put in the language that the gambling commission wanted kind of five pillars 
that they were looking for that included things like, you know, dealing with problem gambling, dealing with youth access, dealing with sports integrity, which, of course, is hugely important to to me and to your listeners to make sure that these games are being played honestly and upfront. Um, so those we so there was just a lot more language that we felt we wanted to put into the bill. And so we thought starting with a new bill was just an easier, cleaner way to do that. You mentioned the Seattle Seahawks and, and putting a few dollars on our, our favorite Seahawks team. Would gambling on local teams, I guess just college teams, would be prohibited? Correct. Yeah, right now the, that was one of the requests from our university partners from UW and Washington State to, to not allow gambling on our local college teams. So that, that is currently in the bill and will be part of the compact negotiations. Um, I would imagine that similar to expanding to card rooms, I think as this unfolds and we see that, you know, that the sports integrity pieces are really strong, that maybe again on down the line, you know, in a, in a couple of years, maybe we relook at that and, and allow that kind of gambling to take place. But for now, yeah, no, no in-state college sports can, can be better. Maybe a silly question and an obvious answer, but my teacher back in grade school told me there's no such thing. What do you think has been what do you think has been the holdup? Why is the environment here in the state of Washington different? The climate here in the state of Washington different than all these other states that have jumped in line for sports gambling, Strom? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm not a Washington native. I've lived here for about 20 years now. So it's really interesting the history of washington you know we have the the second oldest gambling commission in the country outside of nevada so this has been on the on the minds of washington voters since the 30s really really kind of after the even longer after the black Sox scandal Mm. so there's been you know nearly a hundred year history of this kind of conservative approach to gambling and i don't know if that's just the people who settled here and you know, or, or what kind of the, the psychology is around that. But it's been here for a long time, that conservative approach, and still seems to remain. Are you going to make the ceremonial first bet once we get there, Strom? You like the first pitch? You going to throw out the first bet? I hadn't thought of that, but that, that's a pretty good idea. I guess I'll have to see what the spread is in the over-under. But, um, I mean, I do I do enjoy sports betting, and I have occasional trip down to, uh, to Las Vegas. I have done that, and uh, – and and have fun doing that. So I don't know. I might just have to show up to to one of the casinos and and get a little money on the Hawks. Now, now there's no restrictions on the type of bets, right? Like these proposition bets, or it, it doesn't get into that kind of detail. Or does the bill get into that? There's a little bit of detail around some of the instant betting, like hey, is is the next pitch going to be a, yes. a ball or a strike? Yes. Um, just because of kind of that's a real sports integrity piece. Um, as you could imagine, that's kind of a little too easy to manip- manipulate. But as far as some of the different prop bets that go, no, that will be part of the, the compact process. And then a lot of that is just going to be each, each tribe's decision on what kind of bets they want to take. Mm. Representative Strom Peterson of Edmonds, thanks for catching up with us on Mitch Unfiltered. And I hope you remain safe and healthy and all your constituents as well. Thanks so very much. All right. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate it. Strom Peterson on episode 83 and sports gambling in Washington state. It's coming. It's just a matter of time. Maybe not to the extent that we all would like tribal casinos only, but baby steps. 
Look, there's no hiding from the fact that Mitch Unfiltered partners like Daniels Broiler are facing a hell of a challenge over the upcoming months, so let's get a few things clear. We need to somehow continue supporting our local economy in safe ways. Lindsay Schwartz alerted me that they are temporarily closing the beautiful new downtown Seattle location in the Hyatt Regency and just adjusting the hours of the other Daniels. So how do we do this? How do we support? Well, experts are saying delivery is the best way to go. Just disinfect the packaging when it comes to your home. Daniels now offers home delivery through DoorDash. Enjoy Daniel's world-class prime steaks and seafood in the safety and comfort of your own home. Daniel's world-class 8-ounce USDA prime filet or grilled king salmon, just two of your many choices so you can enjoy Daniel's at home with DoorDash. And gift certificates. If you're a lover of Daniel's like me and my family, you can't wait until the time that it's completely safe to go back to restaurants. Why not buy a Daniel's gift card online? and save it for a future night. Something to look forward to in these uncertain times. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, I'll say it again, a local business owned by the Schwartz family for all these years, Daniel's Broiler World-Class Steakhouses. Unfiltered. Teague will force it, miss it, and Washington will win it. What a comeback at the end of the game. The Huskies come back from 13 down, outscore Baylor 21 to 5 to close the game and win it by three. Throw it back to Smith, right corner green, wide open, good for three. Baseline shots aplenty for the Wildcats. Mikhail North starts to come alive. And the Huskies are going to call it off, and the Cats advance. Arizona 77, Washington 70. Episode 83 continues with an old, long, lost, forgotten voice. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. The original, you probably don't remember this, but he was the original co-host on Mitch Unfiltered until, as my mom would say, he took a powder. He just disappeared. Poof. Is that what I did? I don't know. I took you took a powder. A, you took you took you took a powder. Now I got it. We okay. got you and I have to talk because you know that one of the biggest, not one of the biggest frustrations, the biggest parenting frustration that I have is electronics. Mm-hmm. When and how mm-hmm. how do I get phones out of kids' hands? How do I get Xbox controllers, Fortnite computers? How do I get these things? Out of kids' hands, and you told me a long time ago, Mitch, you needed to set you needed to set some boundaries a long time ago. You needed to collect those things. At what time? What time during the week do the Hamiltons collect those things? Yeah, nine thirty usually. Oh, nine thirty. Yeah. Oh my God! Really? Nine thirty? They give them to you at nine thirty? Yeah. So since now my son's pushing back on that a little bit since he's he's a little older. My daughter is pushing back on that. She's still a little younger, but yeah, it's it's typically a 9.30. So now what do we do with kids home all day? All sports activities have been canceled. No games, virtually no practices. There's turmoil in this household. You got to help. Can you come over here? Can you and your wife come over here and, and, and help, help us out in the Levy family or not? Cannot because all hell is broken loose in the <laughs> Hamilton household and and it's a free-for-all. It's an absolute <laughs> electronics free-for-all. 
What are you guys doing? Seriously, what are you doing? How are you keeping them? Yeah, it's tougher, right? Because you don't you don't have the structure of the normal day um, and kind of the the on-off switch that you would typically have in the evening, right? Yeah. And not that we're saying, hey, stay up until two and three o'clock in the morning if you want to, but it's just it's just a different it's a whole different set of circumstances. So we actually it's funny that you're even asking me this question because my wife and I were having a conversation uh, earlier about during the day how much do we do we regulate and do we go for periods of time where we say okay you know it's an hour break it's a it's a 45 minute no electronics in the house no tvs on no computers no cell phones and you know have these periodic kind of get back to just normalcy checks and you know read a book or let's all have a a conversation or whatever so it's a it's a challenge there's no doubt about it i mean what you know you know the Netflix viewing list has gotten longer, and uh, it's uh, it's it's out there for sure. Uh, are you staying around during the days, or are you just keeping a regular schedule? No, I, we have a work from home policy. Um, so yeah, it's uh, now now with school being closed, it's you know the the Hamiltons are in, and um, you know obviously you go out when you, you go out all, when you need the essentials and all that. But no, it's uh, we're. Uh, we're kind of locked down. You got a you got a Netflix or an HBO or a show recommendation or two from Mitch. I've been taking them from Hotshot, and they're not working out so well. <laughs> Those recommendations. What about you? You got something for what, me? What are you? Well, first of all, let's let's find out what are you watching. What what what's 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 been the pattern? Well, n- nothing. I've been watching nothing. You know, I, I, I realize that I very rarely watch any of these streaming services that we have. I very rarely watch a show on HBO or on regular TV. I find myself either watching sports or not watching anything at all. So now I'm at a place yeah. where I've got all this time on my hands and I either need to read a book, which I'm not capable of doing, as you know, and <laughs> or, or, or I need to come up with some shows. So Scott's got me started. He thinks I should watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. I never watched that. He thinks I should watch this show called Succession. He says there's a mm-hmm. um, there's a documentary called McMillions about the McDonald's mm-hmm. scandal with the Monopoly thing uh, 25 years ago. So I've started watching a little of that. You got anything for me? Do the Hamiltons have anything for me? Narcos, for sure. Okay. You got to go season one, season two. Okay. Um. I think you and I might have already talked about this marvelous Mrs. Maisel for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Succession is it's slow moving but really interesting. So I would agree with Scott on that. Yeah, you just gotta you know you gotta pick and choose, but you you know you gotta find you gotta find the right things that that grab your attention, right? Because if you're not a Star Wars guy, you don't have Disney no. Plus. Mandalorian's Mandalorian's awesome, but you know no. you gotta kind of have a little bit of a uh, of history with that to kind of. To understand it, but it's a it's a it's an awesome show as well. Okay. Do you do Curb? I I actually can't do Curb. It's it's uh, what's the best way to put this? <laughs> it's too neurotic for me. I can't. <laughs> it, it it's just it it makes me cringe. It, it's too neurotic for me. And ladies and gentlemen, you just may have found out the real reason why he disappeared. From Mitch. (laughs) 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 What was it like to be at the Pac-12 tournament when uh, all this started to break out? You know, so here's the, here's the, the interesting thing. I guess I'll, I'll point this out. It's been, it's been a couple of years since, since Washington has been 
uh, a Wednesday participant, a first day participant in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, and typically those five through 12 games, um, attendance is a little lighter anyway, just because they're early round games. Yeah. So being in T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, uh, from an attendance standpoint, and Utah and Oregon State played in a great game, a fantastic game where Oregon State came from down 14 to win at the end. Um, you know, it, it was a it was a, a really nice atmosphere for for what it was. You know, for for that particular ball game. And and I, you know, Arizona travels, and so the electricity in the arena for a sparser crowd in an early game was was kind of normal, I would say, for for an early first round tournament game where there was just a massive difference. Mitch was the airport uh, and the casino. And I stayed at the MGM um, and the airport. I've never seen the airport with fewer people in it. I've never seen the MGM casino with, with fewer people in it. So that, that was the clear difference, you know, to me, that was the most shocking. It was less so noticeable um, in the basketball arena. How about the swirling of rumors that, oh, my God, we're going to start canceling games and there's going to be no no fans and then there's going to be no games and then there's going to be no NCAA. All that was kind of circling around. I know you had the headphones on and you're trying to broadcast a game, but certainly it must have been a, a surreal experience with all that stuff kind of flying around you, right? It well, it really was, and it was it was more interesting when you're you know when you're in the process of of preparing for a game or calling a game, and then you're hearing you know this league has now shut down games, or the NCAA has made a determination that you know they're going to postpone, or you know whatever have you. You started to see these kind of dominoes start to take shape, and you know I think if you were paying attention to the the pro sports landscape where you have you know, NBA delays or NHL or, you know, all these other things that were that were also going on prior to that, you know, you could start to see how this thing was going to get magnified, potentially, you know, more and more sports were going to, were going to follow each other and, and then get to this kind of, you know, this national um, kind of line where now we, we're watching Netflix. I mean, and yeah, that's exactly, it's exactly what happened, but yeah, being in the midst of it in the tournament situation and finishing a game and then going, well, wait a minute, this might, the Pac-12 might just cancel the rest of the tournament. This, this, this might be it. And then is the NCAA tournament really not going to take place? Just an unprecedented kind of feeling. And, and certainly when you're in the midst of it, it's, it's bizarre. Mm. Do we feel kind of obnoxiously, strangely better about the one year with Stewart and McDaniels not panning out now that there's no NCAA tournament, or is that just a selfish way of looking at all this? I don't think there's any way that you can you can look at it as better. Um, I've never been a part in all my years of a, as a player, coach, and broadcaster have seen or been a part of a, a more bizarre season than than the 1920 season of the University of Washington men's basketball. Um, you know, something that started out so, so promising, um, you know, even going back to the, the, the foreign tour that they took, uh, were able to get some guys um, that, that played minutes last, the, the previous year, um, that were stepping into to more prominent roles and some new guys that were coming in and, and being able to do that and start to gel early and have such high hopes and expectations for the season and actually 
match those expectations for the most part. There are some lulls though in the non-conference and games that they won that they still didn't look good. But um, you know they were winning ball games, and even through the Hawaii Diamond Head Classic losing in the final to Houston, you know that might have been a little foreshadowing being up 14 in that game and losing. But but certainly um, no one no one could have told me coming back from Honolulu that Washington wasn't going to be a second weekend NCAA tournament team. So through all of what transpired, the nine game losing streak, losing Quad A Green. Um, you know, having a, an up and down year from Jade McDaniels, um, who, um, you know, showed brilliance at times and struggled mightily at others. Uh, no one could have told me that, you know, you, you would have finished 15 and 17, that you would only won three more games, um, you know, post quad a green or four more games post quad a green. Um, yeah, just, just, just bizarre, Mitch. Absolutely bizarre. Any possibility, I'm assuming not that either of these two guys would stay around for another year? Any chance? I don't want to say absolutely none, but I, I don't really see I don't really see a scenario in which that that's likely. Um, you know, I think this 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 COVID nineteen thing, this coronavirus thing, may or may not impact that. I mean, I know that that's you know we're we're in March talking about this, but, you know, depending on what the world looks like three months from now, four months from now, what that does to impact a, an NBA season, do they push out? Do they play through? Do they start over? Do, you know, I, there's some, so, some unknowns in the world today that might alter that answer. But if all things return to normal, I, I don't necessarily see that happening. If I told you one guy would be back next year and I surprised you with that and I just said, Hey, I'm looking into my crystal ball. One guy's coming back. Which guy would it be? Would you bet on? Isaiah Stewart would sock me if he came back. Okay, so you're saying McDaniel's. If one guy's coming back, it's Jaden McDaniel's. If one guy is coming back, that's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I can't see Isaiah Stewart coming back for under any circumstances. Okay. I mean, he the way that he plays and how he played. Yep. Um, he's he's also has less, and this is going to sound bad, and I don't mean this. He has less upside at the NBA level than, than Jade McDaniels does. Isaiah Stewart is, is, is going to develop into a better perimeter shooter, um, but he is physically and talent-wise that guy. Like that is – the NBA has kind of figured out who he is. The NBA does not know necessarily who Jade McDaniels is, uh, what his ceiling truly is, which is the intrigue and it's the frustration. So I, I would be surprised if a guy like Isaiah Stewart came back because he's not necessarily going to improve his right. draft stock. Right. He he is who he is. Right. Um, whereas Jade McDaniels has more opportunity to help himself or potentially hurt himself. If a casino representative cornered you before you walked out of the MGM Grand the other day and said, we're not letting you out. I know you're not a gambler. We're not letting you out until you give us a $20 bill and bet on – which guy would be drafted higher of those two? Even money. And you just had to catch a plane. You'd give him your $20 and say, I'll bet on who? Jaden McDaniels. Higher. You think he's going first? So here, here's the thing. I mean, again, it goes back to what I just said about the, uh, the higher ceiling of Jaden McDaniels. Um, and we've seen this throughout the course of the history of NBA drafts about people getting infatuated with 
talent. with someone's potential or it's the right situation or, you know, they're packaging him for uh, they're going to take him now to move him later. I mean, there's, there's a lot of scenarios in which a guy could be drafted ahead of maybe their slot, their scheduled slot for, for a lot of reasons. But going back to why I say that isn't because, because Jade McDaniels had a better year than Isaiah Stewart. We all know that. That's not why. It's because he's 6'11", he's still real thin, he hasn't filled out. It's what he can be that people get excited about. So, you know, you go, can he be, uh, you know, Kevin Durant? Can he be Kevin Durant? You know, that's what people are thinking. Whether or not he actually becomes Kevin Durant is a completely different thing. So, you know, if you have the ability to, to draft a Jake McDaniels uh, in a week in a seemingly weak 2020 NBA draft, uh, do you do it and hope that he becomes that guy three or four years from now that you, you think he, he, he can become? Probably. I mean, it also depends on his interviews, his individual workouts. There's, there's a ton of things that are going to go into that. If you were sitting down at a table with Isaiah Stewart, he's going to impress you in every single way. And that's the frustrating thing about the NBA or the NBA draft is, is that – that interview, he's going to come across as respectful, intelligent, polite, a hard worker, a great teammate. Um, and you think a guy like that would be a top five, top ten pick based on his performance. But it's also, you know, the way he plays and the way the NBA is now with screen roll, three-point shooting, and, you know, they want stretch fours, and he's not quite a stretch four at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. Were fans too hard on Jaden McDaniels, his attitude – his personality, he's quiet, he's maturing, he's young. People really turned on him in this town, Jason. I mean, were they too hard? That's a sub- subjective kind of question. But, um, you know, I think there were certain things that he did during games and the, the way that he, his mannerisms, um, let's put it like this. I mean, the technical that he had against UCLA, yeah. the, several technicals, yeah. um, some ill-advised shots, some turnovers. Was there a reason to be frustrated with him? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, is he all the other things that you said? A young kid, hometown kid, new situation, trying to learn college, high expectations, frustrated. Yeah, I mean, then you go, you know, he, what was heaped upon him and what was expected maybe uh, would have been unrealistic. So, you know, I, I think there are definitely there's two ways to slice that. There certainly could be frustration for some of his actions and how he played, or his his mannerisms or body language. And then the other is like, you know, there's a lot of pressure being put on a, a 18 year old kid, 19 year old kid coming in um, that you know none of us would want for our own lives or for our own kids. And so you, you got you got to understand both of it. I said on the last podcast, a hot shot. I said. I am going to choose to believe, and I'm not going to listen to anybody. No one can convince me. I'm just decided to be stubborn about this, that had Quade Green remained on the team the way he was playing at the time that they lost him and the way the team looked and the way he was shooting the ball and quarterbacking the team, I have just decided to go to my grave believing that had that not happened, McDaniels would have had a better year, a lot less obstacles in their way, and they would have been, if not the best team in the Pac-12, one of the top two or three, and would have played in an NCAA tournament, clearly, if there was one. Am I, am I pipe-dreaming? Am I naive? Or, or would it have gone south with Quade Green or without Quade? You were spot on. I, I felt the exact same way. I feel the same way today. Um, 
you know, Quade Green's presence on the team and how having a point guard that doesn't turn it over, that, I mean, turnovers killed this team this year. And in part because you're putting Jaden McDaniels in more ball handling situations that he shouldn't be in, more possessions where he's catching the ball and having to make a decision that, that wasn't designed for that. There's a ton of, a ton of things that, that go into to this that started a domino effect that made people have to reinvent how they played. And you can say, well, you know, that's on the coaches for having only kind of one plan. And you can say that for a lot of teams that are only seven deep, that when you take out the main wheel that, that makes them go, or the one thing that, that uh, he brought in terms of that floor general person, um, and then you have people trying to cover up and take over new roles. And, you know, it just, it, the, the chemistry got off and they just were never really able to recover from what he brought. Even when Marcus Sahonis came back in and played well right away and Elijah Hardy came on at the end of the year, all of that stuff is, is true. But had Quade Green been there for the long haul, again, I believe it's a second weekend NCAA tournament team, potential uh, Pac-12 champion, especially now that you see how many losses Oregon had, um, uh, you know, to, to win the league. I, I, no one could convince me otherwise that, that Washington wouldn't have been the best team, if not, like you said, the top two or three in an NCAA tournament team if he was, he was eligible. Well, I don't hear anybody asking this question or answering this question. Is he still around? Was he still with yeah, the team yeah. practicing? Do we expect him to play? point guard for the University of Washington I guess and that dovetails to the next question was I don't know who's coming in I know the younger guys they have on that team and I like some of the younger guys let's assume Stewart and McDaniels leave like we all expect them to be and I don't know maybe Quade gets the, the the grades up and he plays next year based on what you know of what's there and what's coming if anything's coming can they be any good next year yeah, I mean I think they they can be and it's essentially that same core group of of guys that, you know, you, you just talked about. So everybody's got to take a step up though. I mean, the only way they're, they're going to reach their potential is if, if Isaiah Carter and Hamir Wright, you know, take over veteran type leadership and understand their role and, and improve it, it's going to require, you know, Brian Penn Johnson and Nate Roberts, the two young bigs to really take a, a big step. Um, it's going to take Jamal Bay, a guy that I think has, has tremendous potential. He, he's just, he's lacking the killer instinct right now. And, and uh, I think he could be a great slasher uh, finisher and, and be a double digit scored on a consistent basis. So it, it really just takes everybody taking that next step, Mitch. And if they do, they'll be extremely, extremely competitive. Um, you know, again, with quad a green at the point guard, Raekwon battle, uh, Marcus, Sahona, some of the young guys. I, I mean, I think there's a core there that can compete. It's just everybody's got to play to their potential. So you you are operating under the assumption that Green will be on the team next year? I am. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good, 100% good, operating good. under that. Uh, okay. Yes. Good, good, so, good. Sorry if I wasn't clear no, on that's, that. that's yeah, fine. That, yeah. I, that, that is the expectation. Okay. Yeah. And final question. I know I've gone way over the time that I, that I asked for, but uh, how do you view Mike Hopkins? I was a little, you know, I'm a little bit of a Hopkins homer just from his, his history, his past. Uh, people got salty. I guess they started flailing. That's what we do when we get angry about a team that, that underachieves. The guy was the, the Pac-12 coach of the year, his first two years with the program, and everybody was asking, oh, my God, is he going to go back to Syracuse and, and, and succeed Jim Beheim? Are we going to lose him to the NBA? And now 
people are like, oh, my God, this was awful. This was awful. He's no good anymore. So uh, how, <laughs> how, much, how much does this season – how much does this season, do you think, tarnish whatever the reputation was of Hop? Let's just say it, it maybe alters the way that people feel about him because it, that people were riding so high. I mean, the, the first, his first two years and his first year, he nearly gets a team that had uh, really struggled in Romar's last couple of years um, to the NCAA tournament. Then his second year, they, they win the league 15 and three in conference play, um, you know, go to the NCAA tournament, win a game, lose to Carolina and uh, then the recruiting class, I mean, everything is just building to becoming, this is going to be a legendary run with a guy. And I go back to what I said before, and people can take this however they want, which is in all of my years in basketball, I've never seen a season like this ever. Uh, I've never seen anything where a team could not win or a team couldn't finish. You know, you had the highs and the euphoria of the early part of the season and the expectation to, oh, my gosh, they, they can't do anything right. They, they can't close a game uh, to the very tail end where it's like, gosh, if they could have just played like this or, or caught this rhythm with Marcus Sahonis and, and Elijah Hardy in the lineup, you know, things could have been way different. So all of that is all true. And it, it goes back to saying, I don't think Mike Hopkins hasn't changed any. He hasn't forgotten how to coach. Um, if you thought he was a good coach or a good recruiter or a good people person or whatever, he, he's still that guy. Uh, the, the reality of the season is the, and the numbers are the numbers and you went 15 and seven and 17. And anytime that happens uh, and you take a dip, people are going to change their opinion and feel a little bit different about the direction of the program and, and who he is as a coach. So he understands that. And I don't think that's, that's not keeping him up at night. Um, I think that the coaching staff is ready to get back to work and, and try to figure out how to make next season uh, even better. But yeah, sure. He, he's probably taking some, some hits in terms of his reputation and what people think of him. But you know, is he still the right guy for Washington for right now? Absolutely. All the, uh, the hugs in the world from the Levy's to the Hamilton's. Thank you, Jason. Be safe, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Good to be on. Thanks, Mitch. The return of Jason D. Hamilton to episode 83 of Mitch Unfiltered and the exits, the certain exits of Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels in that head-scratching season for the University of Washington. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline for the very first time is the president of Zeke's Pizza, Dan Black. How does that sound to you, Dan? That must mean I'm important. <laughs> I don't know if you're important, but you are on the Zeke's Pizza. <laughs> Many have been on the Zeke's Pizza hotline before you. Obviously a terrible and uncertain time, and we're all trying to get through this together. What can you tell us about Zeke's Pizza? How are you guys doing? And and give us some ideas. Like you say, I mean, it's um, undoubtedly a tough time for the restaurant industry. I mean, it's harrowing. Zeke's is lucky in that we're going to be more resilient than most simply because we have a pretty significant delivery business. You know, we're focused on mainly our residential delivery simply because everybody's at home. Uh, our dining rooms are mixed. You know, there's some that are busy, most most of the ones that are in neighborhoods. You know, we anticipate potentially the state, you know, shutting restaurants down, at least for dine-in. Don't know, but we're certainly preparing for that. And so, like I say, our kind of high ground in this is, uh, is delivery. And there's three ways, three very easy ways to have Zeke's Pizza at your door, right? Yep. You know, when I order, I use the app. It's the fastest and the easiest. Uh, you know, of course, that's what most people like to do nowadays, too. But you can do it online as well if you want to call. The people in our call center are 
extremely friendly and they're extremely good at what they do. So pretty much anybody in greater Seattle area or the east side and parts of Columbia can call 206-285-TO-GO, which is 206-285-8646. And it's a great alternative because you and I were talking about it before we started to record. There is no evidence that the virus is transmitted through food. In fact, if a droplet were to fall on a cooked pizza, for that matter, research says that the, the virus would die. So this is a really good alternative. Pizza, home. We've got our kids home. How about kind of social distancing? How, how have you guys incorporated that into your delivery methods, Dan? Everything you're saying about food is true. There's Food's very safe. Zeke's is serious about health and safety all the time, even when it's not like this. So a lot of the a lot of stuff that's recommended and that people are doing, we do anyway. But the way we've worked social distancing in specifically to delivery is you can pay for everything, including tip, whether it's on the phone, online, or the app. And that's that's kind of always been the case. We've we've always done that. But the way we've worked it now, too, is, is you can leave a note no matter how you order, whether it's on the phone, whether it's on the mobile app or online, with a lo- drop-off location. And so you basically don't have to interact with the driver at all. That's the kind of modification we've made since this came about, which it's it's just really easy basically to do a completely interaction-free transaction as long as you just leave notes as to where you want your stuff left. Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and use it during these troubled times. We love Zeke's Pizza. It's homegrown in the Northwest, and they're a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. President Mark Immert and the Board of Governors canceled the Division I Men and Women's 2020 basketball tournaments as well as the remaining of all winter and spring NCAA championships. This decision is based on the involving COVID-19 public health threat, our ability to ensure the events do not contribute to the spread of the pandemic and the impracticality of hosting such events at any time during this academic year given ongoing decisions by other entities. Well, episode 83 continues with our old pal. He's on the Zeke's Pizza hotline, and I can't help but wonder what the next two or three weeks are going to be like for Jeff Goodman. Stadium sports, longtime ESPN guy, one of the great voices in college basketball. you got to read him on Twitter and follow him on Stadium Sports. We're recording this, Jeff, on a very sad selection Sunday. Imagine what a typical Sunday like this would feel like, and, and now where we are in all this. It's unbelievable. You know, we use the word unbelievable a lot. Well, we can really use it now. I think it really is appropriate that word works for this particular Sunday, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just still kind of surreal, still kind of can't believe it, you know, that I won't be running around these these next three weeks. And and today, obviously, being Selection Sunday, dissecting, you know, um, who made it, who got left out, uh, you know, seating, all of it. It's just, it's hard to fathom kind of where we are right now, not just with college basketball, with with sports overall and and when things are going to be back to normal. Were you one of the ones that was calling for the selection committee to actually unveil a field? Uh, Yeah, do do, do, Do you think that they ever even considered, strongly considered doing that or not? Well, I think they would have had, you know, the problem was you've got a lot of people um, on the on the committee that are athletic directors and had to get back to the campuses to deal with making sure that the 
student athletes were, um, you know, taken care of, whether or not they were able to go home, whether or not they were off campus housing or on campus, whatever it was, they had to get back. So they didn't even really get to start the the process. You know, it's easy to come up with the first, you know, 25 or 35 teams. The hard part is, is picking those last five or 10 teams and they didn't get anywhere close uh, to being able to do that, obviously, because a lot of those teams, frankly, were still playing. Mm-hmm. So they had to get the, the results of, of a lot of those teams as they were playing in their conference tournament. So they didn't make it close enough. And again, those ADs are all back on their campuses trying to take care of their own um, their own issues. Jeff Goodman with us. Any intel or anything interesting that you can tell us on on things that you've heard that happened in the NCAA offices when they were considering whether – to postpone or cancel. I know a lot of people were saying like me, geez, don't cancel postpone. And then everybody else like the Jay Billises of the world were saying, well, it's imp- there's just no way logistically yeah. speaking that they're ever going to be able to pull this off with all that has to happen in two months or three months from now. You have anything interesting that you want to add about what might've been going on and when are we going to hear from Mark Emmert? Are we ever going to hear from Mark Emmert and all this? Yeah, I think we will at some point, but I think ultimately it was out of the hands of the people in the on the selection committee. You know, it was it was at the Mark Emmert, the president, the legal uh, team. That that's who ultimately made this decision. Not not the ads, not the people on the selection committee. They were, uh, according to my sources, looking at every plan possible. Um, you know, whether it be you know a sixteen team tournament, whether it be trying to condense this thing. However, they, they they had different scenarios, but, you know, again, I, I think a lot of it was just taken out of their hands because of the, the legal aspect of it, too, of, of seeing kind of if you put on this tournament and uh, you don't know what is going to potentially happen, even, even a month down the road, I, I don't think we're going to be in a place where we can say with certainty um, that everybody's going to be safe and, and healthy and not be able to, um, to, to still – you know, pass around the coronavirus like we've seen with, you know, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and now Christian Wood from the uh, Detroit Pistons has it. So I I think it was one of those things where they just felt like, you know what, our mission is to take care of the student athlete. This is the best thing that we need to do for the student athlete. Would we even have liked a 16 team tournament, Jeff? Well, better, better than no tournament, right? Better than no tournament. So yeah. Would you have had people complaining? Sure, absolutely. People would have complained, whatever teams didn't get in. But ultimately, you know, it's like the NBA now. If if they resume, they're probably not going to play the final twenty games of the regular season, whatever it is. Maybe they play a few, and then, or maybe they just start the playoffs. And, and teams might complain about it. But ultimately, you had all season to 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 prove you're one of the teams that, that deserve to make the playoffs. Now, I know again, maybe they even condense the playoffs. You know, maybe they go with the top four teams of every uh, or, you know, of, of each conference. And it's an 18 NBA playoffs instead of 16, depending on how long this thing goes. I, I don't know, but I think, you know, you, you got to be understanding uh, no matter what happens. If you're the NBA, if you're the NHL, um, you know, leagues are already, you know, kind of almost wrapping up at this point. Should senior student athletes, Jeff, 
get another shot. I know it's a logistical nightmare and it involves even incoming freshmen. You know, freshmen come in and if a bunch of seniors stay for an additional year, now they kind of lose a year of eligibility. They don't get the chances. Maybe they want to get out of commitments to certain schools and go somewhere else because they the landscape changes for the team that they chose. What do we do, especially with the spring senior sports, these athletes that don't get a chance to play at all, the non-revenue athletes, uh, sports, what do we do with these seniors, do you think? No, seniors, you know, it's easy. Just give them another year because they didn't play at all. They didn't get a chance. You know, baseball, softball, uh, everything else in the spring didn't get an opportunity to play their, their senior year at all. So, to me, that's an easy one. Give them all the year back. Okay. Um, it's harder for the winner. It's harder. I mean, how do you do it? What, what do you say? Only the the students that weren't able to, to, to finish their careers – you know, and, 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 and didn't, you know, what if only the ones who could have played in the NCAA tournament, you know, then you're, 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 you're knocking out those who are going to play in the NIT. I just think you, you kind of run into a, a slippery slope there. And I know it's not going to involve a ton of players. You know, you look through it, there's 340 teams. It's probably an average of three and a half seniors on, on every team. So maybe a thousand or so seniors. How many of them are actually going to come back? You know, you, you're probably talking maybe a hundred of them that would say I'd come back anyway, but, but all it's going to take is one, you know, what if Cassius Winston says, all right, I want to come back to Michigan state this year, but most of the other top players don't, well, that completely changes the landscape for next year. And is that really fair? I I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't do it for winter sports. A big story in the world of college basketball in the middle of all of this, all of this craziness and zany zaniness and all this period of uncertainty, Jeff, We've got Rick Patino arriving back in college basketball, and there's nobody that questions either his ability to coach, maybe one of the greatest we've ever seen, and there's also not many of us that question the baggage that comes along with him. He's going to come back to Iona. What are your thoughts on that? Is he going to immediately win? Or are players going to transfer to his program? Is he going to be there a long time? Is he going to use this as a stepping stone? Will there be sanctions? Is there Are there more penalties coming down the line? There's so many interesting layers to the Rick Patino resurfacing story. Well, you mentioned a few of them there. You know, we'll start with the fact of, of are there going to be sanctions? Because, you know, the NCAA ruled on the Katina Powell, the, the stripper deal, at Louisville, and he got five a five game suspension, ACC suspension in 2017, right before he was fired for his kind of third transgression at the school, which was uh, being involved at least, or or maybe not being involved, but uh, being there as a head coach while an Adidas rep gave Brian Bowen's father twenty twenty thousand of a hundred thousand uh, dollar that he had promised to him to steer Bowen to Louisville. Again, Patino not uh, connected to it in a sense that there's no knowledge that, that he was involved, uh, but he's still the head coach, and he was fired because of, frankly, all the things that have built up at Louisville. Um, you know, they haven't, they haven't made a, any sort of – NCAA hasn't, hasn't you know, uh, done any penalties for any of these schools yet. So we don't know if Rick Patino is going to get a show cause. We don't know if he'll be eligible to coach the first game at Iona. That's number one. And that's what surprised me about the timing of, of Iona hiring him. But the school president signed off on it. The school president is also very close with Rick Patino's business partner. Um, and, and I think that helped. And, and Iona's biggest booster, 
uh, owned horses with Rick Pitino. Uh-huh. So they took a chance. Um, I guess it makes sense from their standpoint. Why not? You may have to, honestly, who knows if, if, if you can keep him, depending on how hard he's hit by the NCAA in, in a matter of months. You might not be able to retain him, but at this point, you hire him. He's a hell of a coach, maybe the best in the country in terms of absolute, uh, you know, actual X's and O's. And I do think he'll get good enough players to be able to win that league. And then you mentioned also, how long does he stay? My take is, if he gets a better option next year, he's gone. If he, if he can go to Miami next year, something like that, or St. John's down the road, you really think he's going to be loyal to, to Iona? I, I don't. Is there no way, Jeff, for Iona and the president and the athletic department to, to call the NCAA before they make the hire official and say, hey, we're thinking about hiring Rick Pitino. Where do you stand with him? Are they not allowed to do that, to get a sense, maybe do some due diligence on what's coming on, what would come down the line in terms of sanctions? They could try it. They could absolutely try it and try to get a feel. The NCAA is not going to tell them exactly what the penalties are because they don't probably know yet. But they might have a little bit of feel whether he's mentioned in the notice of allegations, which still Louisville hasn't gotten yet. So they, they get a little bit of information, but they're not going to know for sure. Where does he rank on the all-time Jeff Goodman coaching list? Give me the top five. I mean, he's there with, with, with Kay, you know, with Bob Knight, with Wooden. He's not far off from – like, today, if you told me again, I get one guy to, to coach, you know, one team, one game, one team for a national title – I might take Rick Pitino over wow. all of them wow. if it's equal equal talent. I, I do. I think. I mean, he's an amazing, amazing coach. You think he's learned his lesson? Lessons? Yeah, I think he's probably humbled a little bit, a little bit. But he's Rick Pitino. He's not going to change how he coaches. He's not going right. to change how he acts. I, I've never seen anybody change their mind more than Rick Pitino. There he is, Jeff Goodman. I, I so wish that we were able to uh, follow you as we've done over the years, as you kind of. Bring back the NCAA tournament through your ears and eyes. But uh, the world is facing much bigger problems. So we'll just have to skip it for the year and remember this for next year. And we'll enjoy it. Uh, we're, we're one year away from Selection Sunday 2021. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, we love there you. you we love you back here in the Northwest. Thanks, Thank you very, very much for your participation. Appreciate it. No, it's been fun this season, Mitch. And uh, hopefully we can do it again next year. Unfiltered. All right, episode 83, right? Episode Dion Branch, episode Steve Rabel. No. I had Rabel's face on a McDonald's glass when I was a kid. You did? You probably don't remember. Oh, yeah, you weren't no, here. No, I wonder if that was just a local Seattle thing, but they would. you could buy these. If you bought a certain amount of food at McDonald's, you get like a, a legit glass, and it had three Seahawks on it. Really? Yeah, it was actually kind of cool. Was it a fraudulent deal? Mc, McMillions? <laughs> I know, every time you hear McDonald's, like I'm playing the Monopoly game but for the Safeway cockamamie they, thing. They, they've been doing that for a long time, right? They, they didn't stop as a result of this big scandal, did McDonald's? they? McDonald's? Yeah. Oh, it's a huge moneymaker. I mean, they say it in the in the, yeah. in the the McSeries that, uh, yeah, it like triples their sales or something. Yeah, so no, I don't, I don't think they stop. It is fun to do. So yeah, I had Rabel on a glass and that glass was broken by a babysitter and I wanted to kill her. A guy we used to work with at KJR gave it to me, too. It was a nice fella. Got me the glass, and it's broken. So it's not going to be Rabel. Not going to be Rabel. No. I like the guy. Had his face on a glass. Can't do it. All right. What uh, TV shows? We were trying to think of things to do here without sports. And you went through a a series. Was that on 82U? Yes. That you went through a series of recommendations for me 
and my family. Some of the best shows I've seen in the past, like 15 years, uh, Mad Men, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, The Walking Dead, Westworld, Fargo, True Detective, and The Americans. And yeah, but you didn't mention any of those. Well, you mentioned a couple of those, but that's uh, not the ones we settled on. It's not the ones. For me. Right. You were coming up with suggestions that you thought I would like. So, so as I recall, you told me to watch McMillions, mm-hmm. which is this HBO documentary. Docu-series. Docu-series. Yeah. Six, six of them? I think it's six parts. Six parts on this incredible scandal involving that Monopoly game thing from the late 1990s, early 2000s. Right. Uh, I think it was even a little early, but yeah, whatever. It's yeah. the same thing. And I've watched the first two episodes. First two? First two. Interested then, it first sounds like. First two shows. Well, I just felt a little, I almost, I, nah, I like the first one. I like the first okay. one. I like this uh, detective that's, yeah. that's goofy, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think I'm going to get tired of him in a hurry. That's what everybody tells me. I'm going to get tired of him in a hurry. Yeah, he's a little too much. He is. He's over the top. He's turning it on, but it worked well in the undercover sting. He was yes, perfect for he that, right? Great. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Great. My favorite moment so far, bar none, is the, is the, the drugged out drunken dude on the beach that steals the <laughs> steals the the cardboard one million, thinking that he could grab it and take it to his bank. <laughs> right, and the fact they had it all on film they is had it on so film. cool. And they asked him, "Dude, wh- why did you take that?" And he was like, "I just saw a lot of zeros, man." Yeah, that's hilarious. He really thought he could steal that cardboard one million. The, so I like that the foam cord. I will check. say this: I, I'm at two. I'm going to go to three. Okay. I think I'll probably finish it slow. Okay. I found it. I find it slow so far. I find it that they. I almost feel like they're dragging it out. That they could do a lot more, mm. a lot quicker. They could have wrapped maybe, it up in four. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't got the three or four. I just. It just. It feels like it's a little bit slow moving, and they could have sped it up a little bit. But I'm interested in it, and I appreciate the the recommendation. I like how this enormous scandal, like one of the biggest scandals falls on the Jacksonville FBI office, which they say is where you go to retire. Yeah. If you got three years left, <laughs> yeah. you go to the Jacksonville office because yeah. nothing ever happens yeah. there. And now they're stuck with this enormous case, yeah. which that's kind of a cool aspect yeah. of it, too. I also it's like good. the fact that the the PR gal for McDonald's yeah. got thrown into this thing. And Amazing. Now all, of sudden, all of a sudden, she's an FBI undercover that's right. detective. Yeah, she's an exactly. undercover yeah. FBI yeah. detective out of nowhere. It's amazing, though. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, like I'm it. loving it. Okay. okay so I I'm so, loving it. I'm loving it. So I would give that so far a B. Okay. I'll take I, it. I'm two in. I will watch the third. You also told me uh, Succession. Correct. Now, of all those shows I listed, I purposely kept it off because those are the ones you didn't pick. Right. I, I picked Succession for you because I think you said you like either nonfiction, right, yeah. or something that could potentially happen, plausibly happen. I think it's easier for me to say that I don't like the far out stuff. Okay. The Game of Thrones, the the sci-fi, the Star Wars. I know they've got some stuff yeah. out now. I mean, Lord not, of the Rings you're no, never going to no, see. No, no, yeah. I don't want any of that <laughs> stuff. It's so disgusting. That's just, just, I don't want any of that. The Hobbit. It's got to have some kind of... Plausibility. Yeah, yeah. Pl- some kind of plausibility right. to me. I mean, it doesn't have to be non-fiction. It can be fiction, like Succession is fiction, although yeah. we're, we're wondering whether it's based on somebody that we, we all see in the news all the time, a couple of different people. But uh, yeah, it's got, so we watched that. We the, the family, I, we started with Max... My wife and I. Okay. The little one didn't watch. Max was done with it like three minutes in. Okay. He walked out of the room. He said, I'm done with this. This is no good. <laughs> All right. My wife and I, my wife didn't love it. She's not sure she wants to even continue. Okay. We've only watched the first episode. I liked it. Again, maybe it's my old age. I thought it was a little slow. I thought it just was a little, huh. a little slow. 
But I like the idea, and I'm going to continue to watch at least okay. episode two. All right, good. You like the idea of it. It's funny, though, that I bring it up. Like, I brought it up to Jason D. Hamilton on this show. Okay. And he was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody seems to love Succession. Yeah. I, I've, I've not said, I've not seen one negative word about your recommendation. So you're in the, the vast majority about that recommendation. Season two, I thought was better. I, I think season okay. two was great. So just okay. stick with it. But it's a how cool. many How many episodes in season one? Uh, I don't like, know. Is it an eight and 10 or is it a 20? No, it's not 20. At the okay. most, it might be okay. 12. Okay. But okay. I love the dynamic of the old man's going, he's got four kids and they're all sort of angling. Oh yeah. Who deserves it? Who's worthy? Who wants it? Right. It's great. I think Which it's a- character do you like the most? Macaulay Calkin's brother? Now he's someone who's kind of burning on me because he's a little over the top too, that yeah. character. Yeah. But he manages to play it well enough to where I'm, I'm not out on him. I still like him. Did you him. notice that one of the guys is the guy from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Oh, Cameron. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When Cameron was in Egypt's land. I love Cameron, yes. Okay. And Cameron right. doesn't look like he really even wants that, that no. life. It clearly looks like his son, uh, the other son, not, not Macaulay's little name. brother, yeah. but yeah. yeah. He looks like the, the main one. guy. They, yeah, the main guy. The main guy I mean, who just wants his father dead so he can take over the company. That's who you're talking about? Yes. The main son? Yeah. And now does, he, does he want him dead or does he know that his dad's on the decline and someone's got to step in? I mean, he's trying to buy that, that kind of hipper digital media company, right? Sure is. Because he, he sees where the wind's blowing. Sure is. Yeah. Magazines, man. New, you know, we, <laughs> we got to move it along here, Pops. And when him and him and the owner of that company So you're, you're up crap, square on that. Yeah, you're I'm, you're I'm all the way up. through. Caught They're up. already two seasons I in? I think it's two seasons, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm totally caught up. I, I think it's a great show. Okay. I mean, the opening credits are eerie, right? That's all you have to know. The, they're taking the family photo, and then the dad just walks away, and they're all kind of looking at him. I mean, that sums up their whole relationship with the guy. Brian Cox is great in it, great actor. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know much about him. He was good in the first one. You thought it was a linebacker from the Dolphins who was going to star. No, I didn't. Who right? <laughs> used to ride around in the, uh, the cart with Don Shula and make fun of Don Shula. Brian Cox. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so that's my... That's my update. I've not started Curb yet. Okay. I think I'm going to do how many how how long is Curb your enthusiasm on each episode? Is that a 30 or a 60? 30. I want to say I need 30 something minutes. for the uh, treadmill. Oh, I need a show for the well, treadmill. There's not many 10-minute shows, I need, but I'll keep looking for it. you. I need I need an hour. I need an hour long show for the treadmill. Okay. Well, that's well then you can just two two curbs. Bang out two curbs. Yeah, it, it curbs light. You don't have to like watch every single word to figure okay. out what's going on. It's, okay. And by the way, curbs started in like 2002 or 3. I mean, it's it's far back. So good yeah, luck catching okay. up. Okay. All right, I don't know if you saw that Rick Patino is returning. Uh, I saw it. I saw. Now, it. had he been coaching somewhere cuz I saw he's going to Iona. Was he a coach Rick somewhere? Rick Patino is an international coach like in Greece. Oh, okay. He's coaching an international European team, and he's coaching, I believe, the Greek national team. If we ever have the Olympics, he's expected to coach the Greek freak in ah. the U.S. Olympics. He's supposed to be the the Greek. I'm not sure how that works. Rick Patino is the Greece na- Greek well, national coach. The guy in my neighborhood is the head coach of the Jamaican team. He's going to be on this show next week. Is that right? He sure is. <laughs> That's, That's great. Same, that very same guy. Well, how did he become the Jamaican national coach? There's got to be a good story behind that. <laughs> that like guy. John Candy coaching the uh, Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> uh, he's fooling somebody. But yes, Rick Patino is back at Iona. We're not sure whether he's going to be sanctioned. There's still maybe some sanctions coming from his his uh, off-the-track behavior. In 2009. At Louisville. Well, there was two or three things, but the latest thing with the, the payment to the players' parents that ended up at Louisville oh, okay. and so forth. So there's still maybe something coming down the line. But yes, Rick Patino, one of the great college coaches we have ever seen in our lifetime he killed the number one seeded huskies if i'm not if i remember correctly in the tournament when they had nate robinson and brand they were number one seed and i think louisville beat them uh, I, I, with I, rick patino yes it was a yeah i think it might have been a one 
Yeah, I, I think I remember that. Was that a Sweet 16 game? I think it might was have a, been sweet a Sweet 16, 16 game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's you know he's taken two teams in the national championships. He's fully decorated, but he's also comes along with a lot of baggage. He went right. wrong at Louisville a few times, a few different occasions, few different types of behavior. But he's going to be at Iona, and and when I think of Rick Pitino, of course, I think of the story. I, I've shared this with people. I think on the podcast, maybe not the podcast, maybe the radio show of my dad and Rick Pitino on one of our many NCAA trips. Okay. It's, it's part of the book. People I feel like your dad's been involved with every coach in the history I'm telling of the you, NCAA I'm tournament. I'm telling you. It, it's part of the book. Someday I'll sit down, probably not, and write this book about the 25 years of traveling because there's stories about him getting thrown out of arenas for changing the possession arrow, walking into John Calipari's room while they're watching film. Wait, physically changing the possession arrow? He ran down. He got mad that they hadn't changed it, and he started screaming. And he fell over into the media, and they took him what? out of the yeah. And <laughs> Jesus. He told John Calipari in the hallway one one night before Syracuse was going to play UMass. He was the coach of UMass. All right, yeah. He told him because we realized we were on the same hall as all the players. He told Cal- I come out of the shower, and he's out in the hall with Calipari, telling him I am going to bang at three o'clock in the morning on every one of your kids' doors down this hall <laughs> really? and wake him up. <laughs> I mean, there's, I, was I mean, Patino laughing? I mean, was, that was Calipari. I mean, was, Calip- was Calipari laughing? Yes, yes, okay, he loved good. it. He right. loved the whole thing. Funny. Uh, there's a Gene Cady story. There's lots of stories, Jeez. but there's actually a Patino story. When you when you brought up the that Patino is now going to coach Iona, we were in. I can't tell you the year 1990 something. We went to Indianapolis. Syracuse was playing in Indianapolis. Okay. They would lose in the first round to Doug Gottlieb. Do you know that name? Doug Gottlieb and the he Oklahoma a radio State guy. Team. Yeah, radio TV guy. Yeah. Kind of annoying. Yeah. Uh, He was the guard of Oklahoma State. Anyway, uh, they went to Indianapolis, uh, one of the NCAA trips. It was a very quick one. They lost in the first round. We were out of there. But we were staying in the same hotel just coincidentally of the Boston Celtics who were in town to face the Indiana Pacers. Oh, okay. And the coach of the time of the Boston Celtics was none other than the aforementioned Rick Rick Pitino. Interesting. Okay. So as the day, this is what typically, our, our typical day would be, I would get up, I'd go down to the, to, the, uh, to the gym, get a little exercise, I'd come up. My dad would be a late straggler and he never got up that, that early, whatever. Then he would go down. So I was back up in the room mm-hmm. and he went down to do whatever exercises he was doing. He was probably in his 70s, 60s, 70s. And he comes back with a big smile on his face. He comes into the room. I'm like, what, what happened? He said, I ran into your old buddy, Rick Patino, which is not my old <laughs> right. Yeah. I said, you ran into Rick Patino. He said, I ran into Rick Patino. Now, the, 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 the backdrop to this story is that the year before this year in the NCAA tournament, we were in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. Syracuse was in Lexington. My father, it was the year before. And on one of the nights during our stay, we decided to go to a restaurant that was owned by... Rick, Rick Pitino, Pitino, either a steakhouse yeah. or a sports bar. I think it might have had his name on it. Maybe it didn't have his name, but he was a partner. It was well known that he was a partner in the business. Okay. So now it's a year later, and they're in the workout room. Patino's on a, on a treadmill or something. My father's on an exercise bike. They're the only two in the thing. Yeah. And he sees him, and, and see, so you didn't know my father, or you did know my father. I met him a couple okay. times, yeah. He was this... Very gregarious, kind of larger guy. Gregarious would say anything to anybody, not timid at all. Yeah. You know, very, very outgoing. Would laugh and joke with a stranger off the street. Okay. 
Patino's not that way. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he sees Patino and he like, <laughs> he like, this is, see, I only got the second hand from my dad. I was not down there. But according to my dad, he said, I waited till this, I didn't get into his personal space or yeah. anything like that. But when he was off and I was off, we were like walking with towels or whatever. I said to him, hey, coach, I was at your restaurant a year ago. Okay, butter him up first. That's good. Whatever. That's just, good. Just, yeah, just yeah. say hello. Hey, I just nice ice breaker. I was at your race. And uh, according to my dad, who's like, mm. yeah, he's like, he didn't want, like, he looked away like, great man, whatever. Yeah. Like, totally <laughs> pushed him off. Give him the, the old high hat. Yeah. And my dad was like, huh, really? Okay. Uh-oh. And he's one of those. Yeah. And so my dad decided he could go one of two ways with this. <laughs> he could now okay, now I'm going to step on the accelerator and really make him uncomfortable. <laughs> Which most people wouldn't. Right. Or he's just going to let him go. Yeah. Grumpy. That'd be my move. You know, just standoffish, yep. doesn't want to talk to him, whatever. Fair enough. And, and that's what he did. He actually took the second okay. road and let him go. He said, but the, the PS to the story is that they just happened to get on the elevator at the exact same time to go up to their rooms. Oh, and my dad is wearing, I can remember, he's wearing a Syracuse hat. Okay. He didn't go to Syracuse. He's wearing a Syracuse, and it's sweat all through the hat. Oh, he you know? worked out in it. Yeah, he worked okay, out in gotcha. a Syracuse hat. Okay. And he's in a hat and probably f- clothes that don't fit so well. And <laughs> yeah. he, let's put it this way. My dad at the moment, at that moment, didn't look like who he was, which is a Harvard Law School attorney. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, that's yeah. what my dad was. Right. My dad was pretty shrewd, okay? Yeah, yeah, he's pretty yeah. good. And he didn't look that way. He just looked like a maniac. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> So he gets into the he gets into the elevator, and I don't think that Patino really realized that my dad was in the elevator when he then got in. Otherwise, if he thought my dad was in that elevator, yeah. he wouldn't have gotten in with him. <laughs> right. But my dad was like around the corner oh. or something or whatever. And so Patino, <laughs> Patino comes in, the door closes, and Patino's like, "Oh, really? This guy again?" So my dad pushes like five for his for our room. He says, to, and he says to Patino, "What?" Uh, what floor? What, yeah. what floor can yeah, I push courteous. for you? Yeah, sure. And Patino goes, don't worry about it, man. What? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> That's such a weird response. <laughs> I'm just going to ride this until you get off and Correct. I'll push it myself. Correct. <laughs> he oh did want my, my dad knowing what floor he was on. Oh, my God. What a maniac, Patino. <laughs> I mean, are you that worried about it? Jesus, seven-year-old guy is going to follow you into your room? Did and- not want my dad oh my knowing God, what floor. Funny. He says, don't. Don't worry about it, man. So he just waits for my dad to get off, and yeah. then he gets off, and then he could, in uh, in his own... Puts his hand over the button like you do, you do when, you, when you do your pin number to make sure you Now, can. is this not a curb your enthusiasm? Yeah, totally. Subplot? Totally. I mean, that's why I think you'll love the show, too. This it's, That's his whole life. Rick Patino refused oh, to tell God. my dad what number to push in the elevator. My dad was trying to be a nice guy. Yeah. And he just looked at this guy with the Syracuse hat yeah, yeah. and these clothes that don't fit and he's all sweaty. <laughs> he's like, who is this guy? He's a maniac and I'm not telling him what floor I'm on. Oh God, that's so funny. You got to get Patino on at some point to tell him that. He, I mean, now, now that he's at Iona, he's more gettable, right? Than like at Louisville. <laughs> he'd probably get I, a kick out of it. Do you think he would, rem- he would remember it? I don't think he'd remember. I mean, there's so many of these. He's been things, famous right? for what, so 35 years? Yeah, incredibly famous. Right, yeah. right. So, no, he probably would, but he'd probably get a kick out of that story. I think you should tell. We should get him on. I think if he blows up and he starts, you know, again, he's going to be tougher to get. So, this might be the time for Steve to strike I'd be and get him. embarrassed to tell him that story. Oh, it's funny. But we're all a little embarrassed by our parents at times, right? I mean, our parents, that's what they do. You probably embarrass your kids on a daily basis. So. Oh. That's a great story.
Uh, it's, the, it's the story as my father told it, so yeah. I don't know if he, you know, I, I don't know whether... <laughs> that's all right, man. God, that's the best. <laughs> so awkward and weird. <laughs> That's cool. Don't worry about it. I'll, it's good. We're good. <laughs> you just go ahead and do your thing. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Uh, anyway, uh, all right. Well, go. so we've talked a lot about Rudy Gobert's and the people, you know, but let's talk about three heroes really quick. Bill Gates donating $50 million of his yep. own money. And yep. people go, whoa, that's like 10 cents. Okay. Yeah. You didn't donate 50 million. So shut the F up. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. I, I don't want to yep. hear Well, he could donate more. Yep. 50 million from Bill Gates, the Alibaba CEO. You familiar with Alibaba.com? Yeah, the, uh, the so, Amazon of the world. That's right. Over, yeah. For, in China. Yeah. Uh, he pledged to, let's see. Oh, he donated a million masks and half a million coronavirus testing kits to the u.s so that's very nice jj watt and his wife donated three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the local food bank i saw i think it was kevin love i donated 100 people are starting to come together and put their money where their mouth is yeah and and while you're on that subject of what we can do uh, i don't think many of us are in the position to give 50 million dollars away most of us aren't but i read an article or i saw something on tv i can't remember where it was just today the day that we're recording this, and I'm going to talk to my kids actually about this because I think it's a, it's something that I'm going to really push my kids to do. Somebody was talking about what what things can we do mm. as good Samaritans? Is there anything that we can do? And one person recommended via Twitter, maybe some people would not think this is a good idea, that young, healthy people, if you have neighbors that you know that are elderly... Offer to go to the store for them. Yeah. Ask, you know, don't, don't put them in the position to go to the supermarket. You know, take a, take a half hour, or a half hour. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the boys about this. Why don't we send an email around? Cause we're in a big neighborhood with a lot of diversity and age. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of grandparents in this neighborhood. We have a lot of young people. There. Why shouldn't my 17 year old senior and his brother get in the car Send an email around to the entire neighborhood. We've got a listing for the entire neighborhood. Okay, cool. And say, hey, we want to help out. If anybody's got a, a, an older a sibling or an older parent or grandparent or something in the neighborhood, if anybody out there is a little fearful about going to sure. the store, we will pick up your or you send us your order. We'll go pick it up and send it to you. I love yeah, it. Bring it to you. Now, I'm not doing a plug for these guys, but there is a website called neighborhood.com. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are on it or no, not, but no. it, it's very useful, neighborhood.com. A lot of people are on it. Yeah. It can, before this happened, it was like the most, it was really an annoying website. Yeah. You know, just people <laughs> complaining about dog shit on their yard or, you know, whatever. But, but that, that might be a great way to connect with people. I mean, you said you have an email distribution list, which is yeah. also good, but yeah. neighborhood, you can just find your neighborhood and lots of people are on it. So that's a great, great I, suggestion. I mean, think about it. I can't tell you how many times I've already been to the store because we're the type of family that goes to the store, gets stuff, and we realize we didn't get something. Yep. So we keep going back. Well, we, there, are, there are days that we go to the store twice a day. <laughs> it's the most inefficient part of our life. Yeah. How many times we go to the store? We, we always. <laughs> so why can't get we? Cream? If we're going to go, if we're going to go twice a day for us. <laughs> yeah. Why can't we go for Mary Jo down the street? Why can't we just say, hey, send us over or tell us on the phone what you need yep. and we'll go pick it up for you. Pick I mean, we're bit. already there for us. Why <laughs> right. not just pick it up, pick up stuff for people that don't, that feel like it's an unnecessary risk or maybe have the respiratory, respiratory issues? Why not go and pick up their stuff too while you're there? Yeah. And maybe a prescription too. Maybe people are That's too right. afraid to go get a prescription. They don't want to go in there. It's like, but they really need that prescription. So I think it's a good idea. I don't know. Can you get somebody else's prescription? Depends on what it is now. Now, if it's a hundred bottles of, you know, Oxycontin, you're not walking out of there with that. Yeah. But if it's sinus or allergy medicine or what, yeah. If it's not a controlled substance. How about the dude with 18,000 
Purell's? What does he have? 17,700 containers of Clorox wipes and sanitizer. <laughs> he literally drove all over the place, racking this stuff up. To try to make a buck on the coronavirus. Yes. His his plan was to resell it on Amazon to, to capitalize and to, yeah. to straight. Now, he said, I'm doing people a favor. Because if you live in a little small town and your little one-horse town store doesn't carry this stuff, you can buy it from me. Yeah, but then he was selling it for like $50 a bottle, okay. for God's sake. He's not a hero. I think we've all established that. <laughs> so, so much Let's so. Let's get him on. So much. You think he'll yeah. come on? Uh, well, can, can we get him on? He may have two days ago, but Amazon has since pulled all of his ads. Oh, he put ads through amazon through amazon yeah he uh, all, selling all this crap on uh, did he make a lot of money or is he stuck with a lot of product well i i heard that he's stuck with almost all of it and now the tennessee attorney general is getting involved Ooh, because is that where he lives in tennessee he's in tennessee because tennessee and kentucky have anti-price gouging laws to prevent necessities from being sold at a markup during states of emergency which this is so i don't know if he's dying to come on and talk about it now we can try but the attorney general's basically doing the right thing and saying, look, dude, we got to get rid of a lot of this stuff. People need it. What are you doing? So can they go in and confisc- confiscate it and, and hand it out or it's not? It's not clear if they can confiscate it. He's now saying he's trying to find ways to donate it, but it's just not a good look for this guy. Him and his brother, like his brother stayed home because they were having pallets of it delivered before this really went ape. And then he was driving all over ca- county to county, stockpiling all this stuff so they can make a couple bucks. Amazing so, stuff. Bad look for uh, Matt Colvin, but hopefully he'll do the right thing and start donating it. It's going to have to take a financial hit, but again, it wasn't our... You know, we didn't tell you to go hoard all this stuff. And once the attorney general calls you, eh, you might want to think about getting rid of Picking some of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anything more on episode 83 that you want to get in before we're, we're together on uh, episode 83P and episode 83U if we do a couple extra this week for the patrons? Do you consider yourself a Gen Xer? A gener- are you in Generation X? Because technically you are from what I see. I am? People born in between 65 and 1980 are Generation Xers. Well, that would be me, but I'm on the very, very low end. I'm on the very high end. Yes. you're. Well, yeah, plus you have an old soul anyways. But we'll accept you. We'll bring you in because I'm right in the middle. I'm 1974. Yeah. Yeah. But I saw that Gen Xers think they are really going to be able to lead when it comes to staying home and doing nothing because they're the latchkey kid generation. I don't know if you saw this story or not. No. It's been trending on Twitter. No. And it's kind of interesting. So... If you recall, a lot of us got off the bus, walked home into an empty house. You didn't. Your mom didn't work. But a lot of us did because both parents were working. You come into the empty house, you make a snack, and you get your homework done. Or in my case, probably watch TV or something. So Gen Xers are going to lead the way and show the millennials, hey, you can stay home and do nothing. We did it for almost all of our childhoods. (laughs) And to this day, the TV is my best friend. It drives my wife nuts. Even if I'm not watching, I love having the TV on. I just love having it on. I love hearing the sound. Because when I was a kid, I was raised by TV like a lot of us it's were. It's funny because I was too. And yet in my older days, I don't know what happened. Somewhere along the line, I lost either the attention span. See, I'm actually kind of surprised that you watch as much TV as you do in these shows. But it could be sports too, though. It could be, I love really having want, sports Because I've on. seen you. Like I saw you at, at Daniel's when we did our our parties, our viewing parties. Yeah. You had your computer on. Well, I was taking you, notes, but you, yeah. Yeah, but I don't see you. I see you with an ADD, an ADHD. Oh, yeah. How can you sit down and watch success? I'm kind of a little skeptical. You're, you're recommending me all these shows that I watch. And I'm like, I'm sitting there during McMillions going, 
Is Hotshot Scott really <laughs> watching this, or is he watching five minutes of it and walking around and not really paying it? I don't see you as having the attention span to watch Succession, how slow-moving the first one was. First of all, you're absolutely right. I don't. Second of all— So what do you do? Like, do other stuff? You're on your no, phone? I, I, you, I, you, you're triple-tasking? You're doing yeah. making meals? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm like looking at Twitter, but yeah. I have to always read an article after I watch an episode to make sure I didn't miss anything or to make sure you I gathered plenty. all the— I'm sure you missed plenty. <laughs> Now, Succession's about a Even show... Even if you concentrated on it, I'm yeah. sure you missed plenty. <laughs> no, Succession's a show about the, about the McDonald's scam. Do yeah, I have that right? You got it right. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Gen Xers are going to lead the way with staying home and doing nothing because we're used to it and we love it. But I love having... You don't love having the TV on even if no one's home? For, for, I, I forget, used forget, to. Forget shows, but a, a sports center like, or, or just a basketball game. I love it. I love having the TV on. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike it and I put it on and my, my wife goes crazy because we always put on the sports in the sports center, the yeah. basketball, whatever. I think this these next six weeks are going to be the best time of her life in here that she's got three boys that oh, don't have any sports to that's watch. Right, yeah. And it's all about the view and Trevor Noah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Hmm. No, somewhere along the way, I went from that kid that you just described. We were a television family. Yeah, you know every I, old show, oh, every commercial. We watched it. I watched with... it when I came home from school. <laughs> yeah, right, I was over at Jeff Shepard's house. <laughs> I watched it at night. We watched Dallas together, Dynasty. Right. We watched TV shows together. We watched the local news was big. You know, we watched the TV was on every night, yep, all night. That's right. I don't think it's as bad here now anymore because I stopped watching non-sports somewhere along the line. Yeah. I lost interest or lost the attention span or lost the desire to sit down and watch, you know, Knott's Landing. I don't watch it anymore. Knott's <laughs> Landing of all Morgan the shows. Morgan Fairchild. Oh, yeah, Morgan. Yeah. See, you know every... Yeah, Morgan Fairchild. You know every show from that time. So you clearly watched a lot of TV. But of course I did. It, it didn't carry over for some reason, you're saying. God help you, Hotshot, if you called the Levy family between 9 and 10 o'clock on Friday night. <laughs> oh, 9 and 10. Dallas. Oh, Dallas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And you're not allowed to talk. It was like, shh. <laughs> my mother sat in that chair. My father sat in that chair. Sat yeah. in that chair when my brothers were home from college. If they weren't in college, they were at certain parts of the couch. We, as a family, we focused in on it. Then we had a family discussion about Bobby Ewing and Jr. I mean, this was like, <laughs> this was like, if the phone rang, my dad would like, who would be calling us right now? How do they not know? <laughs> who would dare? Call Who's it, Rick Pitino? <laughs> Tell them what floor I'm on, Phil. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you missed any of it, there's no going back. There's no rewinding. There's no nothing. So you had to dial Although in. Although we had the Betamax working. <laughs> oh, so you could record them. We were the Betamax. You remember the big Betamax? Yeah, that was first. And it was 50-50 on whether it worked, but <laughs> yeah, right. playing the record button at the same time. But yeah, oh, our lives. There, were, there was one show, like the Don Shula show was on... I don't know what that is. Well, you know who Don Shula was. I'm familiar with him, So yes. on Monday nights, you know, Monday Night Football in the East used to start at 9 p.m. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, 9 yeah. o'clock kickoff. Brutal. Late kickoff for kids like my age. Yeah, sure. But every Monday night before the Monday Night Football game at 8.30, the Don Shula show. <laughs> we had to have dinner be done with dinner, mm -hmm. clear the table. We all had to be in our positions, in our seats when the Don Shula show came on at 8.30 on Monday nights. Yeah, TV was everything. Was everything. That's right. Yeah, everything.
Yeah. But that was before there was nothing else to do. There were no phones. There was no video games. Well, that's transferred. It was TV and newspapers my and radio. A- my ADHD is transferred over to my phone and headphones. I have wireless Bose headphones that I love. I'm not doing an ad for them, but I love them. And I have them on at home all the time when I'm doing chore errands. I put in, I installed two new door handles this weekend. I always have them on. And drives my wife crazy because she was like, well, say something to me and I'm not listening. Yeah. So I, I do have that. I always need some sort of stimulation going. It's it's probably not good. All right. One, I know we got to go. A we pro got to go. I got to do this Eric Ding interview. I have to get this in. A pro rugby player in England will not be hitting the pitch for the next two and a half months. It's all because he grabbed and pinched some dude's privates in a game. <laughs> a disciplinary committee announced Here we go. Here goes Hotshot. <laughs> Ten to, weeks to number suspension. two in the shower. This <laughs> you, is his version of number two in the shower for episode 83. Go ahead. Joe Marler inappropriately. Don't get in his way, ladies and gentlemen. Just let him go. <laughs> a 10 week Pretend suspension. Pretend you're not listening. He squeezed the player's genitals in Six Nations Championship mass, uh, match last week. So he committed an act of foul play, which you can find the video out there. It looks very painful to be on the receiving end of that. But there you go. Lesson to kids, keep your hands to yourself when we're playing sports. All right, let's not start grabbing people in the nether regions. All right, that's it. Episode eight. <laughs> Do we decide who it is yet? <laughs> oh, I hope God. somebody gets a kick out of that story. You see the video. It, it's just like, why? Why, rugby player? All right, we got to name it. Bleaching a-holes. Yeah, well, no, no, it wasn't, it wasn't bleaching. I'm sun not, tanning? I'm not, I'm not an animal sun over here. Sun tanning? Yeah, sun tanning. Oh, God. Number two in the shower. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's, there's more to come. I got to figure out a way to end the show without him knowing that I'm ending. (laughs) We can do away with some of these stories. You're just not recording right now. That's what you should do. Just hit stop earlier and let me go. Uh, 951 receptions, 13,000 yards, 87 touchdowns. He's second all time in Super Bowl receptions. He's number 83 of the hated Buffalo Bills. Oh, yeah. I remember. Andre Reed. A great Tecmo player as well on the video game Tecmo Bowl. Episode Andre Reed is in the books. 